My name is Jason Dubray, and this is the Shelf Shedding Movie Show. Each week, I'm going to give away one movie from my physical movie collection. Please enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to a very, very special episode of the Shelf Shedding Movie Show, where my guest, Rank and Review host, Larry Parsons, and I talk about the dude himself, Jeff Bridges. We're going to review six of Jeff Bridges' great films, uh, each and every one uh, a classic in its own way. And then at the end, uh, I will end up losing one of these movies. Larry will have 60 points that he will award, will award among the six films, and I will also have 60 points to award among the six films. And whichever one is the lowest number of points is the one that I have to lose. I just want to warn you that there will be some spoilers and there may be some coarse language. Please enjoy this show and enjoy hearing about these classic Jeff Bridges performances. I am with... Larry Parsons, who is the host of a podcast that I absolutely love called Rank and Review. You know how Kevin Smith in his movies, he'll try to incorporate a Star Wars reference? <laughs> right. I think in every episode so far of the Shelf Shutting Movie Show, there's been some sort of a Rank and Review or Larry Parsons reference. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I, uh, yeah... I'm glad that I've somehow infected you with the podcast bug. I'm not competitive when it comes to podcasting or anything like that. I promote your show uh, all the time, even though I've only listened to the first episode. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Which some, I appreciate. Yeah. I have some catching up to do. It's not It's not that I'm being effusive, but I just... Uh, my, I got a pretty full dance card this lately. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I would say so. Um, but... I mean, any any opportunity to hang out, and I gotta repay you because you've you've done rank and review like a half a dozen times at yeah. least or more. Like, uh, well, you know, like, I'm I'm an emergency <laughs> guest too. <laughs> Somebody drops out at the last minute. Oh, Jason, can you just watch six movies tonight? I'll just stay up all night and watch them. And there's a couple of people I could count on if I really had to punch a hole in the schedule or fill a hole in the schedule. Yeah. And be like, yeah. dude, I need you to watch six movies by Saturday. I'm on it. I'm on it. <laughs> But I've tried to, as a guest, I feel like I've contributed to some of your longest episodes. <laughs> so I've tried to start to scale it back with our, our last show on Woody Allen there. It was, well, I think we did pretty well. Yeah, that was about right. Um, to the point, once it gets around the three-hour mark, I feel like I'm, I might be wasting people's lives a little bit. I used to be a lot more picky about the editing of the episodes yeah. than I have become. If we if we all dead end if we if somebody carries a thread to nowhere sometimes I will spare them that but I will cut that out of the podcast but mm -hmm. for the most part it's just a conversation between friends about cool movies and I kind of let it be that and give it some room to right. where we don't have to feel this pressure this is in Siskel and Ebert where we have twenty minutes to review latest movies of that week and give quick opinions and well I was talking or, to you or disagree I was talking to you before we hit record I just. Rewatched re uh, Room Two Three Seven, the documentary on The Shining, yeah. and it's made me question the whole idea of criticism as a concept. Yeah. And I bumped into it already in the show because I've done uh, like over 160 episodes. 
movies that I had a bad memory of, I revisit and kind of like, and mm -hmm. movies that I had a good memory of, I revisit and it's just not the same experience. Like, it's so subjective, not just to who you are, but the circumstances with which you see the movie. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's given me this crisis. How useful is film criticism, really? <laughs> I mean, generally speaking, if people say a movie is worth watching, it's probably worth watching, and yeah. generally they, but... I think you need to find your critic that you vibe with and, and, and just trust them. So if you trust Jason's voice, which, you know, usually we get along every now and then we'll mix it up, but usually we get along. If you trust Jason's voice, then shelf shedding show should be, you know, that's your measure. That's yeah. your measure. Uh, for a long time, Roger Ebert was that for me. And I was really disappointed when we disagreed or flabbergasted mm -hmm. when we disagreed. Well, there, there are times what I liked about Ebert, and I think you've done a good job of, of doing this with your show, is it was looking, what was the intention of this movie? And is the movie successful? Yeah. Even what was if its there are things that, you know, maybe you and I personally don't appreciate or don't like, or but did it meet its target audience? I think we're going to bump into that in the movies we talk about today, yeah, actually. I, I love me some Jeff Bridges, yeah. uh, and I, I'm, he's dependable, but he's not always in... The, the movies aren't always amazing. He's usually really good yes. in them. He's a dependable mm -hmm. actor. Um, so, yeah, we, we may bump into that. Who knows? Yeah. So, yeah, again, I, I, in the introduction I recorded before this, I mentioned that this is a acting masterclass show with Jeff Bridges. Yes. And we are looking at six De Jeff Bridges movies here. I'm just going to mention them. Right. And then I'm, I'm going to ask you what Jeff Bridges means to you. I'm okay. going to say what he means to me. You know. um, we're going to look at 1989's The Fabulous Baker Boys, a political movie called The Contender. In some ways, it introduced the world to Joan Allen. I think maybe Nixon did that a little bit more. This was kind of her third or fourth really amazing role. But this was the chance to not be the supporting actor. And to, Center to stage. Really, yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about one of your, if not your favorite movie of all time, The, the Big, Big Lebowski. Lebowski. And that's why I pitched The Jeff Bridges Show to you, because... <laughs> the Big Lebowski. We talk about Lebowski. <laughs> it's great. Uh, Bridges did, in fact, win an Academy Award, eventually, for a movie called Crazy Heart, yep. which we're going to look at. Uh, his most recent Oscar nomination, Hell or High Water. And we're going to end off with another Coen Brothers, Jeff Bridges joint, True Grit, which... Is it a remake or is it an adaptation of the novel, right. which the original and fairly famous late 60s movie kind of ignored the novel and right. did their own John Wayne thing. So, Yeah, so what does, what does Mr. Bridges' work mean to you? Well, I, you have to divide his career in half for me. There's mm -hmm. the pre-Lebowski and there's the post-Lebowski Jeff Bridges as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Not that it colors everything he does, not that like I only see the dude in him, but like he's heavily associated with that role and like he on some level is the dude to me. He becomes one of these guys who's so recognizable. Like I've said in my podcast before, Christopher Walken is a guy I love, mm -hmm. but very rarely do I think he vanishes into a role, right? I'm always looking yeah. at Christopher yes. Walken. Before Big Lebowski, I think that Bridges could kind of disappear a little mm -hmm. bit. After Lebowski, that became a little bit harder. I People think. feel that he's the dude. And he's embraced this. Yeah, he so gets it. <laughs> Alec Guinness, for example, Fine. really did not appreciate the Star Wars. And that a generation of people knew him yeah. as Obi-Wan Kenobi. And I get it, because he, he had this huge career before Star Wars. Bridges had a huge career before Lebowski. 
he kind of appreciates it. Yeah. He's a very positive, I mean, I don't know the man. Uh, he might be a jerk in real life. I don't know. But he, he just seems like a person who appreciates people and fans. I mean, he did a, he got a, a Lifetime Achievement Award, I don't know, a year and a half ago or something. He was thanking his, his body double. Right. He, he was just thanking everybody, everybody who would help him in his career. Uh, a director who was became infamous because of Heaven's Gate, who gave him great advice early in his career when he was uh, doing a Clint Eastwood movie. He just seems like a guy who is having fun and appreciates life. He calls it play. Right. He, he loves the play with all of these great actors and filmmakers that he's been able to work with. He's also a photographer. He brings his camera on set and likes right. to document like his own sort of little scrapbook of each experiment, uh, experience so he can do that. Of the pre-Lebowski Jeff Bridges, there's a few things that stand out to me. I mean, I had an affection for the 70s King Kong because mm-hmm. I was young when I saw it and it was a spectacle. He did a buddy thriller with uh, Clint Eastwood. And yeah, that's the one that was the movie, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, thank yeah, you. I that's was where he got that advice. Name. Michael Cimino was the director who directed The Deer Hunter, but yeah. Heaven's Gate, which was one of those giant train wreck Hollywood stories who was behind too. Right. He's the only guy I've ever heard of thanking Michael Cimino when he gets a Lifetime Achievement Award in the 21st century. <laughs> right. Well, th- I remember seeing that movie probably too young. I watched it with mm-hmm. my dad on the couch someday and like, there's a bummer, a bummer third act to that movie and I was really unhappy with how the movie played out. And it was one of the first time I felt like emotionally affected by a character's exit from a movie. Mm-hmm. And it had something to do with Jeff Bridges. I'm trying to be delicate. I don't want to peripherally ruin things for people. Mm-hmm. So that has always stuck out in my brain. And then there's two early 90s movies. One of them you and I talked about. I was going to mention this one because this one, the one you're about to mention, I think is is my, the one that... Your it, Jeff Bridges movie? was like, yeah, that was my, oh, I am interested in this guy. I've heard the name, but I just... He's awesome, yeah. The Fisher King, right? The Fisher King. Everyone talks about Robin Williams, and I wouldn't take anything away. I wouldn't snatch an award out of Robin Williams' hands for that. But I think what Jeff Bridges is asked to do in the movie is arguably more difficult. It's the less flashy role, but it's the more wounded character, and it's the less likable character. We have all the reasons in the world to like the Robin Williams character, and really none to like Jeff Bridges. But we still cheer for him because of his performance. And the one that gets missed for me a lot, and the one that I've always held in special regard, and one that really needs a proper widescreen release, is Peter Weir's Fearless. Yes. It's just a beautiful movie, and Jeff Bridges is fucking amazing Mm -hmm. in it, pardon my French, but he is so good in that movie. And it's it's basically a a hard examination of, you know, post-trauma, like... He, this guy survives a plane crash and he kind of believes that he's become invulnerable and increasingly evidence sort of suggests that maybe he is. He eats strawberries, which he's supposed to be allergic to and survives it. He walks into traffic and miraculously none of the cars touch him and uh, he starts believing himself maybe somehow this weird Zen religious figure and he connects with other survivors and it's a really deep, interesting movie that nobody seems to have watched and that nobody seems like, to talk about. And it's why is, so good. Why it's, is Criterion or Kino Lober or one of these shout or like one it's of these It's Peter groups? Weir. You'd think someone would pick it up because 
I have a full screen version of this on DVD. Uh-huh. I, I, I've never been able, I've never seen a widescreen copy available yeah. of it. And it's in one of these just unsung gems. Like, if I was making the list of the movies, not to disc your list, but I would have put Fearless on that. Stack. If I find a copy of it, I, right, there I, it is. I probably would have. Yeah. And I, I might have put The Fisher King, but because we've we reviewed it on your show, we've talked right. about it, so I didn't, um, didn't bring that in. Because to me, The Fisher King. Uh, I stayed at this hotel where they had free movies when I was 12 years old, or 11 or 12 years old. Right. And I was just like, I'm in heaven. Right. <laughs> and I hadn't seen The Fisher King, and I, I got The Fisher King, and I watched it. And I honestly, I didn't know how to react to it at first. And it was, I heard all this great stuff about Robin Williams in it, but it was Jeff Bridges who blew me away. And The Fabulous Baker Boys, which we're going to talk about shortly... Um, was also available in this hotel. So right after I watched The Fisher King, I watched The Fabulous Baker Boys, and I was I was amazed by it. Right. I thought, I just whatever this guy does, I, I'm just going to keep watching it. And this was, you know, um, years before the dude showed up. So I, I think I was on board with Bridges before Lebowski. Um, but when I saw Lebowski, I was like, this guy is... <laughs> if he wasn't on his way to being a legend, he, he's a legend... Well, no. that's a great story, but it's, I'm sure we can talk about it in the review, but like, usually the Coen brothers have an idea in their head of who they want to play a part as they're writing it. But in this case, they were basing it loosely on a guy they knew who, mm-hmm. in Los Angeles who insisted on being called the dude, and they thought this was hilarious. But they didn't have the actor in their head as they were writing it. Mm-hmm. They had to find, and it was one of those things where the stars aligned. It was the right actor for the right part. It just yes. was like, it wasn't obvious casting at all. No. When it was there, it was like, yep, that's the right guy. That's perfect. Like, what did he do before that that would suggest, suggest that it. he was that character? I mean, uh, like, I hate he played the straight man a bit. There's yeah. a scene early in Crazy Heart where he's doing a gig in a bowling alley. And it's super hard not to think of the dude right well, away, right? Like, he, it, there's Jeff Bridges in a bowling alley. There are three movies in here which involve Jeff Bridges in a bowling alley. Right, that's and, right. And uh, bowling and music seem to be kind of a theme throughout besides the movies of Jeff Bridges. Yeah. Yeah. So, should we get into these? I guess we can jump Suckers. in. Let's yeah. do it. Thank you, mahalo, and that concludes our show for this evening. And which means paddle home safely. I've been thinking maybe we should make some changes. I've been thinking maybe we should take on a singer. I want to love you, feel you, wrap myself around you. Thirty-seven. Thirty-seven girls and not one who can carry a tune. What about me? Name? Susie. Susie Diamond. Catchy. You have any previous experiences? For the last couple of years, I've been on call for the AAA escort service. What would you like to share with us today, Miss Diamond? All right, so we get two bridges for the price of one in the fabulous Baker Boys. Uh, less famous Bow Bridges is 
part of a, a music duel um, with Jeff Bridges, and they've been playing together in lounges forever. And for Bo Bridges, he thinks they're kind of hitting the big time here. Jeff Bridges has reached a point in his life where he realizes like this is just a dead end for him, and he is way more talented than he's allowed to be yeah. with his brother. And there's a bit of a vaudeville back and forth comedy act in there, which Bridges is not a huge fan of. He's he sings the jokes. lines with absolutely no heart, no emotion. But they decide that they they need a singer, and they go through. Uh, a series of colorful auditions. Uh, we get to see uh, Jennifer Tilly in an early role showing up, and she does get a, another scene late in the film. Um, is one of the more memorable ones from these series of bad auditions, as you would see in movies of this type. And then we land on Michelle Pfeiffer, who gives, uh, I would argue, one of her best performances in this movie. So, I mean, to, to be blunt, mm -hmm. she's just raw sex in this movie. She's raw sex poured onto a piano. Mm -hmm. Like, this is sort of like young in her prime, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. She kind of like had her own sort of peak and plateau of career, and then she kind of quit Hollywood for 10 years to raise her kids. A and bit, yeah. she's sort of yeah. come back lately. But uh, again, I think just it was a, the absolute right person for the for the role at the time she yeah. was just so appealing so sexy and so what that part needed and so the thing that was obviously going to explode this this band mm -hmm. uh she's not really the yoko ono of the band but I, I think what you're talking about in the introduction is that they plateaued creatively and jeff bridges is willing to recognize that and Bo bridges is he's, not he's stuck in no, it, we just need the right person to see this act, and this is the act that's going to do it for us. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, Jeff Bridges thinks that they need to evolve, and she's going to help them evolve, but also simultaneously sort of set them on their own separate paths. Yeah. I think that this and Crazy Heart have a lot of thematic kind of similarities in that a woman comes into this musician's life and kind of mm -hmm. fixes his life, but it's a kind of doomed, bittersweet kind of approach to the romance yeah um and i remember seeing it when i was much younger because this was late 80s 89 89 yeah. it came out yeah, yeah it's a uh, couple of years before the fisher came so i think it was a little ahead of me when i first saw it i remember mm -hmm. thinking it was a little bit boring but still finding something appealing about michelle pfeiffer strangely yeah <laughs> unusual uh but catching up to it again now I appreciate the elements of the movie. I appreciate the chemistry between the brothers. I don't think Bo Bridges is on the same level of Jeff Bridges, but like, if we're judging on a Baldwin scale, he's closer to the William Baldwin than the Stephen the, Baldwin. <laughs> okay. Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, he, he's, he can act. He can act. He's fine. He's been in a, a million TV things. roles, actually. He's been... And I don't mean to talk shit about it. I just no. don't. I just think that Jeff's playing on a different level than Bo is. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think that's a controversial statement. Now, would you have spotted that when you first watched it? I, it's hard to say. I think I was blown away by all three performances the right. first time I saw this movie. But re-watching it, I've watched it a couple times since. But re-watching it for this, I, I, I agree with you. I, I totally saw the difference. Yeah. Um, I don't think Bill Bridges sucks. Is no. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to take a shit on Bill Bridges. I'm just <laughs> uh, of the three though. I yeah. mean, I don't think this movie works without Brid 
Jeff Bridges and Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. There's also a charming old fashioned thing to the movie. Like mm-hmm. it is very much movie of time. I remember uh, there's a scene where before she's joined the group, she's talking about how her cigarettes cost like 15 cents each. And so if she's going to wreck her lungs, she might as well, you know, pay the best price for it. And I'm like, that's adorable. I wonder what the per cigarette price is now. It's probably got to be like a dollar, dollar twenty-five. I don't know. Uh, you watching that now. What? Wow. Did I go back in time? Yeah, I need me a time machine. Uh, this sultry sort of thing that she's got going on. This, the uh, like... She just adds so much to their dynamic, yeah. and the show becomes about her. And of course, that drives Bo Bridges mm. crazy. And Jeff Bridges is all on board because he's, you know, all Twitter pated for her. Mm-hmm. I think well, plus he wants to see something different happen. Here. Oh yeah, this is this is helping their career. This is shaking like, things up. Bo Bridges doesn't want the act to be dirty or sexual in any way. No, but when he has to go away, and they. They perform on this New Year's Eve in this hotel. They just go for it. Yeah. And he thinks this has ruined their act, and they are both seeing this as the best thing that could have ever happened. Yeah. So, I, I, it's a fine movie. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a good movie. I like the movie. I don't know that I love the movie. Mm-hmm. It's fine. It's good. I, it's... I think it's a formulaic <laughs> screenplay. Steve Cloves is the writer-director. He, he wrote a, a really interesting screenplay. It was an adaptation of a novel called Wonder Boys right Michael Douglas the other thing he's known for is he wrote some of the Harry Potter I like the the fabulous Baker Boys but I don't love it there's something conventional about it uh, there's something familiar about it and mm-hmm. again uh, going back to this whole being a critic becoming kind of difficult once you've seen enough movies yeah. like I've been watching movies pretty feverishly since you know my early teens mm-hmm. you kind of start to recognize patterns and again, this is going to come up again and again. A good director can take something that's very familiar and make it work. The Conjuring movies, for instance, are fine, very familiar, very fine jump scare movies, but there's nothing new about it. Yeah. In that way, this is a very fine sort of bittersweet romance, mm-hmm. but there's nothing really new about it. I think at the time we had Michelle Pfeiffer sort of revealing herself as hello Hollywood, welcome to Michelle Pfeiffer, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so that had that extra excitement to it and the extra heat to it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> it, it didn't stick in my memory and revisiting it, it didn't make me go, ah, I get it now. I was yeah. like, it's fine. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's one of your lines. It's I fine. know. I think I, I, I started I using it, it now much. too. No, and it's fine. Like it's fine to say it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I very much agree with you. This is another one of the roles again pre, pre the dude, where he is very much a straight man. Like it's it's Bridges. He's quiet and he's reacting to what's happening to the flashier characters, Pfeiffer in particular, being mm-hmm. the, the flashiest character in the film. I think he does a really really nice job of it. Uh, the other piece that I, I kind of, I don't know how you feel about it, that I just wanted to mention is he, he has his apartment. It's all set in Seattle. He has this apartment and there's this kid, this neighbor who hangs out at his place because it's the only safe place because Momo is always having another, another man over yeah. and this is this kid's only friend. I, 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 maybe I'm a sucker for this, but I, I like that dynamic. It's a little bit of a subplot. 
There's this point where Bridges just gets so frustrated, he takes it out on this kid, and you just feel horrible. It kind of sort of works itself out, but I, I, I like that element in there. It just brought a different... I, I kind of... Well, that scene justified the existence of the kid. Yeah. Before, that, it's like, what? what's the point? Like, what's, yeah. what's going on here? Yeah, I don't know generally, other than, like I say, that point where he... He lashes out at the kid and instantly regrets it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know exactly, you know, what what role he played. There's also again, th- that strange jealousy that the kid had when the relationship spoilers, but relationship develops with Michelle Pfeiffer. Right. He's, it's like, oh, I, I'm used to him just he's, not. He's going to be way. taking care of her instead of me, or mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Almost, I wonder. If, well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe that wouldn't be enough to for another film. <laughs> Well, I don't know. It might be a little bit too cute. I'm not desperate for a sequel. I don't want to... Oh, no, no. I'm not talking about a sequel. I'm just... (laughs) A completely different movie about that kind of dynamic. Because it was... It was just an interesting piece in there. Yeah. And it was the one where I was thinking, this isn't as quite as formulaic as the rest of the story. So, Cloves, I think, is a decent screenwriter. Yeah. But Wonder Boys... And I don't know if the source material helped with Wonder Boys. But Wonder Boys was a much more interesting screenplay. Oh, yeah. And that, that they, was they just a, were lucky to have the two leads that they had. That's another case of like very familiar stuff and stuff that shouldn't be as appealing as we are. Like, mm-hmm. I'm a writer going through a midlife crisis, but like I live a life of unspeakable privilege. Everybody mm-hmm. pity my malaise, right? It shouldn't <laughs> We've work. We talked about this a lot. Yeah. It shouldn't work, but it does, it does. in Wonder Boys. It does. I think arguably better than it does here. Well, you have Curtis Hansen directing yeah. that movie as opposed to Cloves himself directing. Right. And I think that's... Might have made the the difference, yeah. Yeah, good enough. War is the natural extension of politics. Now, in this war, there there will be casualties. So help me God. Not among us. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Vice President-designate Lane Hansen. The president today has nominated Senator Lane Hansen to fill the vacancy left by the death of the vice president almost three weeks ago. It's the job of you two to make sure that that confirmation gets through. I'm not confirming a woman just because she's a woman. Runyon is going to come after me with all guns blazing. Can we ask for basic fairness? Of course you can. And we do have it confirmed that it's her. It's like some meta hustler. Ryan has been looking for stuff that the feds wouldn't even touch. She was putting on a sex show. And all you can claim about me is that I had sex while Deviant I was... sex. Who says it was deviant? I do. We all have to understand we're going to obliterate a life. And what I say, the American people will believe. And you know why? Because I'll have a very big microphone in front of me. You were involved in a trading favors with several partners. They got witnesses. She was very drunk when she had sex with my friends. So you're asking me to step down? No, it's not going to be that easy for you, and it's not going to be that easy for them. What have you got on a distinguished gentleman from Illinois? SEC investigation, 1985. You got stocks? I want something embarrassing! Have you ever committed adultery? No. He's got the world thinking you're something out of a bad soap opera. You understand that you are under oath. Yes. I understand that between the two of us, I'm the one that's under oath. All right. One thing I I know about you is that you stopped watching the Academy Awards. uh, I believe it was after the uh, year 2000. It was the year Julia Roberts won. Yeah. Julia Roberts won for Aaron Brockovich. I know you you felt that uh, Ellen Burson should have won for Requiem for a Dream. It was a pretty good year for female leads. And in the mix was Joan Allen for The Contender. 
I unfortunately see a lot of parallels to this movie, which is now 20 years old, to the world we're in now. Jeff Bridges is the president of the United States and his vice president has died. There's kind of this obvious person to to take the job, played by William Peterson. And he wants it bad. He wants it bad, but instead, Bridges chooses Joan Allen. The controversial choice. The controversial choice because uh, maybe somebody who doesn't have as much experience and is female. Imagine that. A woman? A woman. In politics? Yes. But, uh, (laughs) interestingly enough, from the get-go, there is talk about how she speaks, how she dresses, uh, how she presents herself. Does that sound familiar, (laughs) Hillary Clinton? Um, Or pretty much any woman who tries to run for a higher office or gets into a position of power. And... Then there is a, a bit of a rumored sex scandal of uh, this orgy that she was involved with during her college years. That much hay is being made of. Yeah. And much is being made of uh, because of uh, Gary Oldman's character, who is uh, a Republican, they use Democrat and Republican in this, uh, who is the head of the confirmation hearing for Joan Allen's character, uh, to be, uh, Lane Hansen's the name of the character, by the way, to uh, uh, be confirmed as the Vice President of the United States. And as much as this is a Jeff Bridges episode, and this is one of his Oscar nominations, he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for this, and Joan Allen is fabulous, don't get me wrong in this, but uh, Gary Oldman <laughs> is brilliant. Now, I maybe have a weakness. We've talked about Hannibal on your show I might have a weakness for Gary Oldman because, to me, he's a chameleon. Yeah. He, if Gary Oldman was here, he could play me better than I could play myself. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a weird thing when, especially when people use all of Hollywood's technology to like, transform themselves with makeup and computer mm-hmm. effects. We, we're, we're getting into this really uncanny age and, with the Irishman and stuff like yes. this. Where, uh, so... Sometimes I, I feel like these transformative roles can be just knock you over, but uh, is it just the makeup? Is it, you know, what's the movie where uh, Nicole Kidman had that ridge yeah, added to her nose? Like, hours, yeah. was it all about the ridge on her nose? Is that why that performance was brilliant all of a sudden? Right. It, 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 in one hand, it's really impressive. And on the other hand, you almost can... The makeup can do the work for you. The actor can almost mm-hmm. be usurped by the makeup. I'm not going to accuse this of happening to Gary Oldman, by the way. I'm just I saying this so. is something that can happen no. I mean, uh, he, I, with lesser actors. I think that Jeff Bridges has a, a really fun, really uh, charismatic role. Mm-hmm. I guess uh, I would respectfully disagree with you as far as it reflecting the modern era. I, I mean, I guess it was a... It was looking into the future because inevitably this was going to happen sooner or later. Like, there was going to be a female vice president or a president, hopefully. Well, like, it's, it's inevitably, inevitably that that day will come. Yeah. So it's forward thinking in that way. But it suffers, I think, and this is not a, like, it's not a complaint that's going to sink the ship at all, but from the same sort of fallacy that, like, the West Wing or that Rob Reiner, uh, an American president thing, mm-hmm. this idealized idea of the fundamental goodness, fundamental capableness, and fundamental intelligence of everybody who's working in high-ranking positions in the White House. 
we would all love to believe that this is how it was, but it's just not true. It is an epic fantasy compared to where we're at. Like, yes. to, like just to say that this is a fair reflection of today, no, no. The people running things are far stupider than are being <laughs> presented the in, this. in this movie. But there was a time, I think, where there were smarter people... But the romanticism of the White House that Hollywood always does is it doesn't work for me generally. The reason it works for me in this movie is because it's tightly wound screenplay and it's just wall to wall great character Mm -hmm. actors. Sam Elliott, you got some Canadian content with um, Saul Rubinek. Yeah. Uh, Christian Slater, for some reason, always makes me smile to see Christian Slater show up. You always know it's Christian Slater, but you're having a good time. No, but it's it's weirdly nice to see Christian Slater, you know? and I, I think that William Peterson has a particularly interesting supporting role in this. Uh, mm-hmm. Sort of like his, uh, a not obvious villain, but a not obvious, obvious well, villain. Well, and it's, it's based a bit on, on Teddy Kennedy. Mm-hmm. They even reference it, uh, Chappaquiddick. Right. But the, everything that happens around it when, when it gets revealed is, uh, it, it's really insidious, actually, what... Uh, it presents itself as a real world thriller, but I don't buy it as a real world thriller. I buy it as an entertaining Hollywood thriller. Okay. So, I mean, I wouldn't give it five star treatment, but maybe three, three and a half. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, I think I was blown away by it when I saw it in theaters, and I, I recognize a few chinks in the armor now. Right. I'm not sure I agree with you that it's as positive a portrayal that everybody's a hero was working in the White House. There is, like, the Samuel Elliott character, and it's it kind of against type in some ways. Like, he's always kind of the, 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 the cowboy or whatever. He's the, the high-level Washington insider. Chief of staff. And, yeah, yeah, chief of staff. And he is incredibly mean to Lane from the beginning and is, you know, cursing a blue streak. And he he's very much projecting the same sexism Onto her that, you know, the, the enemy, the Gary Oldman's camp. If you can't is. handle it from me, how are you going to handle it from them? And that's the idea. But he also, there's a, a really important scene early on where Oldman says to him, uh, are you telling me that Lane Hansen was your choice for vice president? And Elliot holds a smile a little bit too long. Yeah. Says, absolutely. Yeah. Your choice. And the subtext is, completely disagree with the president on this one right this is a terrible idea he sees this as being a whole laundry list of problems and the president jeff bridges sees it as well it's historic and uh, i'm going to do something good and he legitimately likes lane and thinks she's right for the Mm -hmm. job Uh, and maybe initially doesn't realize the hornet's nest that he's opening up to but even the evil Republicans in this, even though it's all basically about character assassination and they're not mm-hmm. super, super fussed about what the facts actually are, just the perception, mm-hmm. still, that's tame by comparison to like real-world politics now. like The fact of something even being true or not is never even entering the debate in, <laughs> anymore. There's no scruples left. Yeah. Like You feel like there's, they're, they're playing by a rule book. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're they're playing sketchy and they're playing as dirty as they can, but there's still a rule. Book. <laughs> I think the thing here was, and of course, there's a bit of a, a reference to Bill Clinton in there, but this was shot at the time where Bill Clinton was still the president. Okay, like it was, it came out the year of the Bush Gore stuff, right. where I think there was a real turning point 
in American politics, and that's where in the last 20 years we have got to now. I think before that, even though there were, Clinton had his critics, uh, there was this thing when, when George H.W. Bush died, they said that this will be the last president who was kind of respected by people, even if he disagreed with them. Right. Um, but I feel like there was still this belief in there that, you know, there were intelligent people kind of running the ship. And, and so we're kind of projecting 2020 onto this, onto this movie. That's where it might have still been a little bit more of an innocent time in the belief system. But I'm, I'm not sure they're painted. West Wing paints everybody in the White House as, while they disagree, they're kind of all heroes. Almost I, saintly, really. Almost saintly, particularly with the president. Jeff Bridges is not a terribly nice guy. He's a shrewd politician. Um, there's this great thing. Every scene, he's ordering food. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to stump the White House kitchen. Like He comes up with bizarre stuff. There's a great, the great scene with Christian Slater, he, this shark meat sandwich. You know, and the whole thing is that he's taking a bite out of this kid who thinks that he's... He's the shark. Yeah. yeah. He, the reason he does this is Christian Slater's a member of the same party, but is lining up with Gary Oldman so that he doesn't look like he's partisan or whatever, and trying to also improve his... Position. His, his positioning here. He isn't a... He's a manipulative character as well. He's going to do whatever... He's playing politics, but he's playing politics against his party. Yeah. Which he's going to be punished for. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> So, I, I, I partially uh, agree with it. I, I think the acting and the screenplay are terrific. This is Rod Lurie, who was a movie critic. Uh, and this, I believe, was his first film. Not much has happened since. There's a movie called, I believe, The Last Castle, which I didn't right. see with Robert Redford and James Gandolfini. And I haven't heard a whole lot from him since then. And I, I thought this was an amazing debut, and I was excited that this this might be... It's far from a young future filmmaker. Like, with the exception of the Coen Brothers movies, I feel like I'm going to be playing devil's advocate on all these movies. Like, it's easy for me to pull threads on the stuff that doesn't work. Wall to wall, the movie does work. Yes. Like, the cast is on point. Mm -hmm. And, like, they got everybody... Nobody sticks out badly. Everybody does their part well. Like, um... And uh, the movie moves while you're while I'm in it. While I was watching it, I was actually of the movies that we talked about that I don't have on my shelf. This mm-hmm. is the one that like, I kind of was jealous. So I wish this should this should be on my shelf. Mm-hmm. My wife would like this movie. I think she could yes, like, you know, like I could I could talk her into watching that very easily, and I'd have no problem watching yeah. it again. So like, I, of course, it's a Hollywood thriller. So of course, it doesn't doesn't reflect the real world. But it's one of those things where it sort of pretends like it does. I recently reviewed a movie from a podcast called uh, Brawl on Cellbrook 99. Is that Rank and Review, your podcast? Rank and Review podcast. But, like, (laughs) it's not set in the real world. And the deeper into the movie you get, the more obvious that becomes. And because of how crazy things get, I kind of appreciate that they sort of distance themselves from an actual prison. Mm -hmm. This is a gothic fairy tale vengeance prison this isn't a real prison right yeah. uh and so i kind of i like it when they play that way yeah. playing it straight in a political thriller is the way to go you can't pretend it's a world that's different than yeah. it is and you're right the world of 20 years ago it was amazingly significantly less corrupt <laughs> than the world <laughs> that we have today but it's uh, still corrupt but not still to not level. not to this level yeah. it's a we're in a different Things have changed and not mm-hmm. for the better. So um, 
maybe I'm carrying too much baggage for it. But as a basic thriller, yes, absolutely. I endorse The Contender. I didn't yeah. mean to come out like vicious of it. I, I love The West Wing in, in its own way. Like the whole Aaron Sorkin, like, oh, it's it's like, it's what we want the, the, it to be. But mm-hmm. you just don't believe it. Just always yeah. remind yourself that this is fantasy. It, it is a fantasy. <laughs> it's a, for several seasons. And yeah, I can get behind that. I, I've, I've really been, I feel like I've been defending this film right. a little bit. And I haven't been all that critical for me. And maybe you disagree with me on this one. And it really is kind of one of Jeff Bridges' for your consideration moments. There's a giant speech that he gives yep. in an improbable situation that he would gather all the houses together for something other than the State of the Union address. And he, he goes there and... Gives them a talking to. And gives them a talking to. That's right. I didn't buy that for a second. No, it's I don't, I don't care who the president is. I don't care if it's Abraham Lincoln. That would never happen. And it's the end of the movie. It's kind of an important idea. And we have this, you know, not to ruin the end of it, but there's this kind of hurrah, almost 80s sitcom type of uh, freeze frame in there. And then we go to the credits. And it's kind of an unfortunate way to end what I thought was quite a, quite a sharp film. Right. It's the scene in like the lame courtroom drama where the defendant insists on taking the stand despite yes. the lawyer telling them not to because <laughs> it opens you up to cross-examination and all sorts of other legal mm-hmm, problems. Mm-hmm. It's so much better if you let your lawyer speak for you, but they got to get that person up on the stand to give their impassioned speech. It's like this, this dramatic dare that no writer can resist for some reason and uh it almost never works it's the yeah. end of scent of a woman it's like just like well, I, don't uh, fucking do it <laughs> i've got such a sentimental attachment that's another one to scent of a woman but well i would didn't say bother me as much as scent of a woman as it if I was the editor of that film, I would take a flamethrower to that this scene. <laughs> <laughs> I would burn that scene out of the movie, uh, personally. But uh, I'm sorry, but we were talking about the contenders. Yeah, yeah the contenders. Yeah, but but it is that kind of a moment. It for sure. I, mean, yeah. I agree. It is comparable. I yeah. understand that, and so one one of those works better for me than the other. I just took a. I just I just hit you in the feelings with that. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's where my love of Al Pacino came from. And you know how much I like Al Pacino. You love you some Al Pacino. I mean, he's not Tom Cruise, but... (laughs) I'm just picking a fight now. I'm just picking a fight. Well, we're about to get into the Big Lebowski, so it's time to get ready to fight. Okay. Wait, wait, let me me explain something to you. Um, I am not Mr. Lebowski. I'm the dude. You know, uh, that or uh, his dudeness or uh, Duder or, uh, you know, El Duderino, if you're not into the whole brevity thing. Are you employed, Mr. Lebowski? Ah! Employed? You like sex, Mr. Lebowski. Is this your only ID? You got the wrong guy. I'm the dude. Your name's Lebowski, Lebowski. Jeff Lebowski, the other Lebowski, the millionaire. I received this ransom note this morning. This is the bummer, man. They want you to take the money and act his courier. Why, man? What the hell is this? My dirty undies, dude. The whites. Let's take that hell! Why should we settle for 20 grand when we can keep the entire million? I know you're mixed up in all this. Playing one side against the other in bed with everybody. Blow them. 
Huh? Fabulous stuff. What? Who's sitting on a million dollars? We want some money. Ah! Sitting in the trunk of our car. Where's my damn money? Okay, on my last show, I I had uh, Dan Boudet as, as my critic here. And I, I mean, I don't want any hate mail going in his direction here. But I was telling him, oh, um, because it was only a few days ago I recorded it, that my next show is a Jeff Bridges tribute episode. And he was looking at The Big Lebowski and he said... Yeah, I saw The Big Lebowski once, and I was like, what's the big deal? What's all the fuss about What's all Lebowski? the fuss about? I get and this all the time. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm sure you do. I love this movie from the beginning. I was so... And Fargo is one of my favorite movies of all time. Right. And so I was so excited for the next Coen Brothers film. I was... First weekend, I had to see it. And I laughed so hard. It takes a lot for me to, to genuinely laugh yeah. in a movie. And I nearly, like, there were two movies that year that came out completely different, really, but genuinely made me laugh. And one of them was Lebowski. The other was uh, There's Something About Mary. Oh, really? Yeah. That's funny. Quite, Very quite different. different. Quite different. Um, but there, there's just a, a sequence, and I don't really want to mention it because it's late in the film, and but it's, it's built up so well. And it's just so darkly funny that I... I, I, just, I just loved it, and I love Jeff Bridges' performance in it. This is a man who wanders around L.A., and he is uh, calls himself The Dude, but his last name is Lebowski, and he gets confused with a rich man named Lebowski, and uh, some people show up and pee on his carpet, and this leads him on to a, a journey to confront the big Lebowski uh, about... His carpet, because the carpet really completed the room. It really ties the room together. It ties the room together. Sorry, yes. <laughs> yes, misquoted it. Yeah, you'll be correcting me if I say the wrong thing here. And that leads into this kind of Raymond Chandler-esque detective story where uh, the rich man's um, trophy wife, played by Tara Reid... Um, American, in her good movie. In a, her good movie, yeah. She was kind of uh, known for American Pie, I guess, and right. a few others. Uh, she was kind of big at the time um, when she was in the movie. And he has been kidnapped, and uh, the big Lebowski gets the dude to try to track her down and do a, a money... Uh, Initially, he has to pay off yeah, the Yeah, pay kidnappers. off the kidnappers, yeah. And he unfortunately brings along his bowling buddy played by John Goodman uh, who is a volatile person let's let's put it that way and uh, the money handoff is an absolute disaster and it looks like they've they've screwed up and this leads to a whole series of really really interesting characters and just an amazing cast we have pornographers we have German nihilists. We have a mysterious cowboy who, for the first little while, I almost think is a tumbleweed narrating the film. We also have uh, that weird avant-garde feminist artiste. Yes, and, uh, played by Julianne Moore. the great Julianne Moore, uh, as we know, who gave a, a stellar performance in a movie called Magnolia. Yes, yes. That yes. we once disagreed on. <laughs> Well, I think you're having trouble talking about yeah, the plot there's so much because stuff. well, here's the thing: it has this simultaneously contradictive thing in that it has no plot, no, as well as having too much plot. Mm -hmm. There's a kidnapping, but there's no kidnapping. There's a mystery, but there's, there's no, really mystery. no mystery. 
It's a buddy comedy, but the dude spends the whole movie screaming at Walter, who yes. is supposedly his buddy, and the dude is supposedly a, be- a mellow fellow. The thing yes. about The Big Lebowski is that it is unique. It, it's You can't compare it to anything else, no. and it is all about the journey and not the destination. Mm-hmm. If you connect with these characters, this is one of the best fucking movies ever made. <laughs> if you don't connect with the characters, it's mystifying. To, but yes. I don't get mad at people who don't get the Big Lebowski. To full confession, the first time I saw the Big Lebowski is at the Broadway Theater in Saskatoon. And I liked it a lot and I couldn't wait to see it again. But I don't remember laughing a lot. Mm-hmm. It had the same quality that happens so much with me when I walk out of a Coen Brothers movie for the first time. As I was vaguely stunned yes. by the movie. I was just like, huh, what was that? Like, the brain needs to catch up to what I have to process it yeah. and think about it and stew in it. And then, but this is my birthday present to myself. Every year on my birthday, I will do a Lebowski, either with my friends playing the Lebowski game or. Even just solitary, me sitting in my living room mm-hmm. enjoying Lebowski again. And I find it, like a lot of Coen Brothers movies, it, it's a richer experience each time. I notice things about it each time. And when I talk to people about it, even people who don't get it, like who don't love the Lebowski, when I say, uh, when I quote a line, when I quote some mm-hmm. like m- bit of mod or the Jackie Treehorn treats objects like women... <laughs> Yes. First of all, look, look, I am not Mr. Lebowski, okay? You're Mr. Lebowski. I'm the dude, so that's just what you call me. I'll do this, and people will be like, yeah, I have to watch that movie again. And I'm like, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. Yeah. And uh, it's one of those things. I can watch it again and again and again, and I just love it. Uh, I, I've recently talked about it on the podcast, so I feel like I'm repeating myself mm-hmm. a little bit. But the documentary on the anniversary edition, they're talking to Julian Moore. Very, very professional, very, like, amazing actress. Mm -hmm. And she said she couldn't believe that it wasn't a huge hit when it came out. And she couldn't believe that Jeff Bridges wasn't nominated for an Academy Award. Or or winning the Academy Award She's a professional actress, and she said, like, doing scenes with him as the dude, she had a really hard time not breaking down laughing. And he's not doing a whole lot. He's just like, do you have any Kahlua? You know, like, and she just fucking loses it. Like, is pitch perfect in this movie and yes. it comes out of nowhere <laughs> like and I don't understand one thing I really just don't understand about it it was kind of buried in a February release <clears throat> but that said so was Fargo and Fargo went on to win two Academy Awards and was nominated for Best Picture. It got re-released for the Christmas season because yeah. of the Oscar buzz around it. But they could have done that with Lebowski, I, I think. It's a weird thing to follow up your Oscar movie with, and it's also kind of the movie that you would follow up your Oscar with. Mm-hmm. Like, after Fargo, on the back of that, presumably they could do whatever the fuck yeah. they wanted. Yes. And I love that whatever the fuck they wanted was, was the Big Lebowski. If given carte blanche, given a free meal ticket to do whatever you want, they made the Big Lebowski. And I just, I love that about them. I also just love, like, it's such a Cohen movie. It's mm-hmm. one of those things, like, there's a few Cohen movies, True Grit or No Country for Old Men, as much as I love them, like, somebody else might have made, taken a crack at those movies, right? Possible. Nobody else was going to make the Big Lebowski. But the Cohen brothers, right? Yeah, Nobody well, else was going to make Oh Brother Where Art Thou or The Man Who Wasn't There except for the Cohen brothers. Yeah. Like, it was only going to be the Cohen brothers or that movie wasn't going to exist. 
this is like such a quintessential Coen Brothers movie film. <laughs> like, uh, if you want to know what the, the feel of it is and the detail and the texture, like, nothing about the movie isn't considered. I watch it every year and I've noticed new things every time. Jackie Treehorn's body, bums, whatever, the, the, the heavies, the guy that beat yeah. up the dude at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. They show up at the beginning of the movie, and then we don't see them for an hour. Yeah. And then they show up at the end of the movie, and they've switched clothes. Why? I don't know. <laughs> it's just a detail. They don't bring any attention to it, but there it is. These are the sort of things that you can notice when you've watched Lebowski 40 or 50 times, mm-hmm. but there's still more to be discovered. I believe it. I believe that there's more to mine in Lebowski. And it's not like time. a three-hour movie. No. It's, it, is a, it is a tight film. You're their classic, you know, like you say, gumshoe detective role, only instead of a, being a detective, he's a pothead. But counterintuitive, he's not like this forgetful, stupid pothead. In yeah. fact, he has an amazing memory. It's full of amazing character actors. A heartbreaking small role from Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yes, yeah. Every time I see him... Well, it's like that we've talked about River Phoenix yeah. or Robin Williams, of course, we did a show on. Yeah. It's, it's that kind of thing now is, oh, I miss, I miss seeing him in, him in movies. John Polito, same thing. Yeah. Uh, it's just a tiny, tiny role in this, but I always love him, especially in Coen Brothers movies. I just love him. John Turturro. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah. He makes and, an impression. And uh, his movie's coming out, I think, yep. fairly soon, right? Uh, I'm worried. I gotta say. Yeah. I'm worried. But, yeah. uh... He got the Cohen's blessings and, uh, like, the movie's been made for almost three years. In order to get it distributed, he had to change the title to The Jesus Rolls. And you wouldn't think it would be that hard to sell a movie that's, like, married in some way to the cult universe of The Big Lebowski. So I'm trying to temper my expectations for The Jesus Rolls. But it's not a Cohen Brothers movie. It's a John Turturro movie. So John Turturro, obviously that character has meant something to him. (laughs) And it's... It's such a short, was a two, three scene role. Um, the documentary at the time, he said he had no idea what the whole movie was about. Like he had a degree of trust in the Coen brothers yeah. and they gave him carte blanche to fill out the character in any way he wanted. And he went for it. Mm-hmm. But like he didn't, it, he said it didn't like on the page, he didn't understand. Like they built it up to him. We got this role for you, you Jesus Quintana and you're a pedophile. <laughs> you're a really crazy obsessed bowler and... Then he reads it, and he's got like ten lines. Right? But he adds his dance, and I was, it was such, such a, a brilliant performance. The other one I want to mention can sort of get forgotten about is the character of Donnie, played by Steve Buscemi. Right. And the Coens were very intentional that he played a character in Fargo who just would not shut up. Yabba yabba yabba. Yeah. And then playing the exact opposite in Donnie. Donnie is quiet and everything that he's doing is is reaction just reactions trying to understand the world. He's always a step behind in the conversations with John Goodman. Constantly being told to shut the fuck up. Yeah. Yeah. By Goodman who's just terrible to him. <laughs> Until the last scene. Well, and in some ways he is kind of terrible to him in the last scene. Uh, but when they confront the nihilists and he's scared, oh, yeah. he's scared. He goes, "No, don't worry, Donnie. These are nihilists. These men are cowards." It's like the one time where he doesn't tell Donnie to yeah, shut the fuck that's, up. That's true, yeah. And when Donnie goes down, he's there. Yes, <laughs> he's, yeah. So it, it's weird because everything there's weird portents of bad fate. Uh, also suggested by the Sam Elliott cowboy god figure who narrates darkness washed over the dude the maybe the only character more mysterious than the sam elliott character in the movie is david thewlis for his one scene role and to get him to do that 
he just meets the dude. He's hanging out with Maud in her loft apartment just place, giggling. whatever. And everything in the world is just uh, existentially amusing to him. And he just... <laughs> through the whole scene. And, uh, like, it's another type of these perfect timed Cohen things because at about the time I'm saying, what the fuck is with that guy? The dude actually says, what the fuck what is, is with this, this guy? guy? <laughs> and that's, that's, that's the Cohen brothers utterly having me by the balls as filmmakers. They get these great actors for a scene, a scene, and who make a meal out of a few lines. Who says or... no if the Coen Brothers fall? Oh, I would. Like, good no. God, no! Just drop what they you're can... doing. Well, I was supposed to be getting married Saturday, but whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I... we could do a morning shoot. You know what? Lauren will understand, or she won't. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Uh, so what I'm saying is I'm a big fan yeah. of the Big Lebowski. I it's not one of those things that I take a hard line on and fight people on because mm-hmm. I understand that it's a very specific aesthetic. But those who like it like it a lot. It's sort of like this weird Lord of the Rings thing. It seems like people really love Lord of the Rings or it infuriates them for, for some reason. But it's not worth having the fight with with mm-hmm. either side, mm-hmm. right? Like take it for what it is. So so here's my challenge to you. Go. Uh, because the last episode I talked about one of my favorite movies and my guest Dan talked about one of his favorite movies. What would be your biggest criticism of The Big Lebowski? I, it's, I, you could argue it's anticlimactic in that it doesn't really have a climax unless you call either Steve Buscemi's character spoilers dying. Mm-hmm. But that's not that doesn't resolve the mystery. That's not like... No. It's maybe the peak dramatic moment when they face up against the nihilists. But I mean, the mystery is solved when all of a sudden we see Bunny Lebowski drive back into town in a red convertible listening to Viva mm. Las Vegas. Yes. It's a long walk to nowhere in a lot of ways. Like, it's a meandering, aw shucks, pothead kind of movie. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of drug humor. There's a lot of dream sequences. Like, yeah. uh, so the whole porn... Do you remember the teaser for this movie? Yeah. We were at the screen of... Uh, of uh, the game. Right. I think with U of S drama department, we pretty much filled up the Pacific theater right. for that. And that was the first time I saw a teaser for this movie. And it was the Kenny Rogers song playing and, and bridges. Kaleidoscopic images. And... Yeah. And, and, and bridges dancing with the, like the handyman thing, which is kind of a takeoff on this subplot involving the, the, the porno movie and all this. Uh, and I was just like, just this alone. I, I'm there. I will pay whatever price Sign the first weekend to see this thing. And that sequence and many sequences, they do, don't disappoint. Even like the kind of dated, like uh, the, the dream sequence and the flying carpet and he flies down and then you can tell that it's a green well, sc- screen type of thing. I mean... We debated fun. this on the celebrated podcast Rank and Review. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we talked about... The, the award-winning episode. podcast. Yes. yes. Uh, I think that the, his dreams are actually... They're predictive. They're, uh, what do you call, prophecies sort of mm-hmm. dreams. The first time he gets knocked cold by Maud and her goons, he dreams that Maud's flying away on a flying carpet. Yes. And while that's happening, Maud is stealing his rug from yes. him. Later on, after seeing the porno at Maud's place, log jamming, mm-hmm. he has a dream where he's wearing the same outfit as the actor mm-hmm. in the porn movie, and he teaches Maud how to bowl, and they do this big dance number. Mm-hmm. The next time he sees Maud, they have sex with each other. Like, mm-hmm. They they work by themselves as like a spectacle with the Buxley Berkeley dance number type mm-hmm. of things, 
And they're but beautiful. They're it's beautiful. Beautiful to look at. But there's also the sneakily there's mm-hmm. there's stuff going on. Even his anxiety about being chased by the nihilists is is, is realized after in, in his dream when yes. they're chasing him. With yeah, the, giant the music scissors. changes and it's They a, said they cut off your Johnson. There's, there's giant scissors. <laughs> and then we step on it and we squish it. <laughs> you could probably just act the entire movie on yourself. Um but, and uh, John Goodman, I'm sorry, I, I know we're going on, but John Goodman's amazing in the movie. Oh, it he is. He wrote the part, they wrote the part for him. Yeah. I don't know who else could have done Walter. No, Objectively, he's an asshole and he fucks things up all the time, but I still somehow love the shit out of Walter Silchek. And I don't know, I don't know how they did it. I don't know how John Goodman did it, but I fucking love it. <laughs> like, yeah. he, he's such a great counterbalance to the dude because the dude should be this like ex-hippie mellow fellow stoner. And he'd probably just sink into his couch and never, you know, return. Mm-hmm. If not for the fact that he's constantly getting infuriated by what his buddies Walter is doing. Really his best friend. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If what? they didn't bowl, if they didn't have this connection of bowling, they had nothing to do with each other. But because they're on this bowling team together, they are mm-hmm. bros <laughs> for life. And I feel like that's a comment on male friendships, male relationships. It's around this activity or something. That you find these lifelong. It doesn't friends. have to be bowling. It could be baseball. It could Golf, be whatever. Yeah. Of yeah. cars. But it's whatever. an activity. It's not like talking about their feelings or anything. No. But they're, they agree you know. on nothing but bowling. But yeah. that is enough. That is enough for them. <laughs> One last thing. I'm hoping that you can shed some light Bring. on this for me. And I, I guess this is my criticism of it. And sometimes I'm able to get past it. And I, I think it was, I was taken aback by it the first time I. This might have been my choice. It was the year of the Truman Show, which I really loved that movie. Right. That was my choice for the best movie that year. Lebowski was something like second or third. Right. It might have been number one if it wasn't for the last scene. And I've, I've tried to figure out what the story is with the last scene. And, you, and I think you're, you're you're getting around to it and you're, you're hinting at it. But we're left with Sam Elliott just talking into the camera after having this conversation with well, he, the, dude, the dude goes off. He reviews the movie for us at of, the end of the movie. It's it like, was, yeah. that was a pretty good story, too. Had me laugh and beat the band. Parts, anyway. <laughs> and then he doesn't like that Donnie died. And he's really curious to find out whether or not, you know, how the semis go. I like that he's this god figure, but he mm-hmm. doesn't know who's going to mm-hmm. win the bowling tournament. That's yes. genuinely interesting to him. Yes. But, yeah, I, that's what I'm talking about. Like, it, this is definitely a movie where it is about the journey and not the destination. Yeah. Because there, there is no mystery to be solved. There is no kidnapping, no, no one to be rescued. Uh, there's good guys and bad guys. But, like, it's just a bunch of money changing hands behind the scenes. And uh, 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 it's, it's um, a big fuss over nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's... It's and that's, consistent what's, that's what's awesome about it, but that, that has a built-in lack of climax to it. Yeah. And uh, some people can find that unsatisfying. I, 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 like, you know, it's good to know that the dude's out there taking it easy for all us sinners. <laughs> I, I take comfort yeah. in that. Yeah. And that's it, enough for me, but I understand it not being enough for a lot of people. But for me, that's totally enough. I... The dude exists and he's out there and he's taking it easy uh, while all of us are struggling to get you know rent paid <laughs> the dude is just well that's a back. christ-like figure the illusion there yeah yeah um i get what you're saying yeah but, but I, I also would just talking about this i'm thinking back to 
many people's reactions to, again, spoilers, but I, I won't say what it is, but the end of No Country for Old Men. Right. Had people in like, huh? Right. <laughs> you know, you have, it for, they force you to rewatch it and to think about, like, you were just, oh, Tommy Lee Jones is talking. Uh, he's talking for a long time. Yeah. You know, like, it's just oh. not, it's not about, it's not obviously about maybe what you expect it to yeah. be about, but that's what makes and it that's rich. what I like it about them. I guess if, if that's why, why I understand why people have a, a little bit of a hesitation with this movie, if they're looking for a traditional narrative, My buddy Matt, for you. when we're talking about the movie, says he objectively knows that it's a good movie. Every scene by itself makes him laugh, but he can't get passionate about liking The Big Lebowski. And like, I get it. But again, like I'll, I'll talk to people about the movie. The, the one scene role of the cop at the impound lot. Oh yeah, they got four more detectives working on it this week. They got us working in shifts. Leads. Like that's a one scene role that that guy just made a fucking meal oh, out of. Yeah. And the whole movie is just scene after scene after scene of that. So like sit back and enjoy the ride is the thing. It, take don't it overthink in. it. Yeah. Take it in yeah. and don't fight with it. Yeah. Just take it in. Yeah. And uh, like I love it. I love it. And I agree with you. It's not my favorite movie, but I got it from the beginning. Yeah. I wanted to see it again. Right away. Right away. Right, right. after. And I've revisited it several times. And there's still stuff that I, I'm looking for. I haven't watched it as much as you have, and right. so I look forward to future viewings of The Big Lebowski. <laughs> Mr. Blake, I'm Gene Craddock from The Sun Scene. Tape recorder okay? Go ahead and ask right. What's your real name? I'm Bad Blake. My tombstone will have my real name on it. Until then, I'm just going to stay bad. Your heart's on the loose. You rolled them sevens with nothing to lose. Where'd all those songs come from? Life, unfortunately. I'm 57 years old. I'm broke. Why don't you sit down and write some songs, huh? Keep talking. I keep feeling obliged to apologize for being less than you probably imagined me to be. Somehow this don't feel like home anymore. We ought to go out and find some trouble to get into. Yeah, big trouble. And this ain't no place for the weary kind. I knew what the risks were with you. And I took them. This ain't no place. That's one hell of a song. This is gonna be your best year in the last seven. Never too late, son. Never too late. Pick up your crazy heart and give it one more try. Eventually, as happens when somebody has had 40, 50 years in the movie business and has been overlooked, finally. Jeff Bridges wins an Academy Award for a movie called Crazy Heart, where he plays a an alcoholic country singer. And I'll do that as the lead-in um, to this film. What do you think about Crazy Heart? I think it is, as I think you were implying there, uh, he's due Oscar for Jeff Bridges, mm -hmm. which is not to imply that he's not fantastic in the movie, because he is really good in the movie. Much like the Fabulous Baker Boys... It showcases his talent, not just as an actor, but as a musician. He yes. plays and performs his own music in the film, so respect. What I was saying about The Fabulous Baker Boys, and that it was like everything that you would expect this type of movie to be, mm -hmm. Crazy Heart is 100% guilty of. Mm -hmm. It's everything that you would expect this type of movie to be, 
very well handled. Yes. I mean, if you didn't have Maggie Gyllenhaal and Jeff Bridges playing these central roles, if you didn't have Robert Duvall, mm-hmm. if you didn't have an assured hand directing it, I think this would just be another cheesy pseudo-biopic. And the oddest casting of them all. It's Colin Farrell. Right. As a country western singer as well. Like but I, I can get behind Bridges that... I think he did okay. I mean, like... Oh, uh, I liked his performance, yes. Uh, I just didn't see that coming from him. It's not who you would have guessed for that. He was kind of a Billy Ray Cyrus type of uh, a a figure in in there who was like the new country, the hottest, and and Bridges represents the old, kind of washed out. And whereas Jeff Bridges, once upon a time, took this kid under his wing, now this kid is taking him under his wing. Which he's very resistant to. Yeah, he kind of almost resents it, even though it's actually a warm gesture. It's a genuine gesture. Um, Nothing about the movie surprised me. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and like I enjoyed watching it and I was like yes give Jeff his, his Oscar I, I get it in the contender I talked about the sort of fantasy element of like they're presenting it as a real thing but it is a fantasy something that I've noticed about this type of movie is that the man needs a love in his life to repair the damage right mm-hmm. Robert Duvall talked about on the, the documentary on the disc the, the mm-hmm. obvious comparison to, to Tender Mercies. Yeah, I had mentioned that <coughs> Whereas to you. Yeah. Tender Mercies, the guy still had a support system left behind him to lean on, to help him through the hard times. Whereas this character, uh, Bad... Bad Blake. Blake. Great name. Uh, Bad Blake, thank yeah. you. Uh, he, he has burnt all of those bridges. He is just, you know, <laughs> king of his own drunk mountain, making his own bad decisions mm-hmm. and living with them. It's just like... Uh, no one's going to convince him to do anything. He gets to make all of his own choices, and that's why he's so happy, and that's why he's so rich, right? No, he's washed up. He doesn't have a penny. He's playing in bowling alleys. But once that's he... where we hit the bowling alley. Yeah. Forgot to mention with the uh, the contender as well. He bowls. Yeah, the president bridges bowls. And I, so I just... In the contender, it made me think of Nixon more like the sort of... Because yeah. there is a bowling was alley. Nixon... Bowling alley. Bowling alley or the Lyndon Johnson. <coughs> so it was a thing that existed in the White House. Yeah. Why not use it? But in this movie, especially because of the long hair and the dinginess of him, it was hard not to think, dude, when he walked into the bowling alley. I'll admit that that happened. But um, yeah, he's, he's past his best before date and he knows it. And he meets this reporter who is doing a story sort of a, on his career, mm-hmm. falls in love with her, and that essentially motivates him to fix his life. He fixes his life, loses the relationship, but is still able to go on an improved, better person. Mm-hmm. He's, he's willing to sort of suck it's up his pride. That sort of all you need is love, sort of, yeah. you know, fantasy wish fulfillment. Also, just for the sake of saying it, the girl's a third his age. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, if he wasn't a brilliant singer-songwriter, he's just a miserable, unrepairable alcoholic. Mm-hmm. So it's a wish fulfillment fantasy, well handled by everybody involved, but it's just not my type of movie. Yeah, this is not. not the type of movie that I would typically seek out to watch. It's not the type of movie that I would typically have on rank and review, but I don't resent its existence or anything mm-hmm. like that. It's a perfectly fine movie. I'm not a big country music fan, yeah. and considering that, I didn't. it didn't hurt my ears. I wasn't yeah. offended by it. It didn't... You talked about achy breaky heart, you know. If it yeah, really, yeah, if it yeah. really was something of that sort of country pop nature, I think I could have reacted toxically to if, it. If the movie was about Colin Farrell's character, then 
Yeah, if I could convince myself, like, if I could tell myself the story, this guy's an epic songwriter, I don't, like, the songs are good enough that I can believe it, I don't have to, like, make it up in my head, then then that's fine. And this is, this is the case here. It didn't hurt my ears, but, nor did I run out to want to buy and sound, buy the soundtrack. And T-Bone Burnett was behind the music here, who was also behind <coughs> the me. music for Old Brother Where Art Thou. Yeah, he works with and, the Coens a lot. Yeah. The music is fantastic. Bridges does quite a good job. I mean, I, I've always any, known he's a terrific musician. He's very good. But I, I mean, I'd, I'd actually like listen to an album by Jeff Bridges. I mean, he seems to know this guy. Uh, there's certain scenes that work really well for me. Early on, that, that bullying... Alley gig where he, he gets Too you know, super drunk and he's performing and in the middle of the set he, he goes back because you will often see this like the big star just goes off for a break and the band keeps playing yeah. he goes off and he he pukes uh, outside his puke all over his shirt uh, sweat stained and he comes out and he continues the song and he finishes the set and big applause and he, he goes through it and he's a professional but he's got a lot of problems. And I don't think I've, I've seen something quite like that. Uh, there's some movies I I guess I would... I agree with you, it's not the most original movie. Right. I feel like it's a, it's a star vehicle for him. And it's a kind of a critical, almost independent film. Much like Tender Mercies. Sling Blade, Billy mm-hmm. Bob Thornton's movie, is that kind of thing with this really charismatic character. Uh, the Apostle... Again, with Robert Duvall. It was no accident to me that Robert Duvall shows up in this movie. Well, in he some produced way. the movie. He produced it, and um, he's very interested in this this kind of world. I, I I believed a lot of it. I even believed the the Maggie Gyllenhaal character falling for him. I think that that's another example. Bridges' roles used to be the Maggie Gyllenhaal role, where you're reacting to the more charismatic character. Right. You know, sometimes I call it the, like the straight man role, for lack of a better term. Well, she is the heart of the movie. She is, and is very good. But the thing we didn't mention is she's a single mom. That's right. And that's where the trouble is with his alcoholism, and he nearly loses the kid in a shopping mall because he stops to have a drink. He takes the kid into the bar, and the kid gets bored and wanders off, away. and... Um, again, I feel trust. like that was a touch of melodrama in there. We, we needed to break them up somehow. We had to have a crisis point yeah. because things were working out a little bit too well for the character. So that's where in the screenplay I'm not as, as thrilled with it. But I really liked the two leads. Here's the simplistic aspect of it. Walk the, the genders of the leads around. Yeah. And this movie is incredibly condescending. Imagine if it was a washed up country singer in the vein of... Uh, Patsy Cline or yes. like this type of yeah. you know singer or like the Michelle Pfeiffer character added 30 years yeah right mm-hmm. and she's well past her best before date but still singing in these dingy lounges. Yeah. but she meets a reporter who's half of her age has a fling with him realizes that having a love in her life is all that she was really missing and that is the key to her conquering both her creative stagnation and her alcoholism mm-hmm. All she needed was a man to love, and everything else fell into place. Mm-hmm. It, in that context, it becomes incredibly simplistic mm-hmm. and condescending. Mm-hmm. In this context... I've like seen that movie, though. Right? I, I've seen the reverse. Yeah. Well, okay. But uh, I just... I don't know. It seems more... The flaws seem more obvious when, mm-hmm. you, when you switch it for yeah. some reason. It just seems like that's very simple. If you're, if you're hitting bottom, find love. And it's also, if you happen to be a genius songwriter, that will help you 
as well. But <laughs> like, what if he wasn't a genius songwriter? And what if the right girl didn't show up? Right. Mm-hmm. And again, we go back to the contender. I mean, what, what that movie would be would probably be incredibly mm-hmm. depressing and not interesting. But leaving Las Vegas. He, he, well, that's a great movie too in its own right. About but uh, alcoholism, but not somebody who has the happy lives. ending. Yeah. 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 The love of the story yeah. in that one is not his redemption. Mm-hmm. It's basically the thing that ushers him out of the world. Yeah. But the, I guess that it would be the sort of flip side of the coin of Crazy mm-hmm. Heart. Yeah. But it sort of exposes Crazy Heart's... I want to say... I wanted to... I was about to use the word flaws. Mm-hmm. They aren't flaws. It's, it's just... It's a little bit... When, when we talk about The Big Lebowski, there's nothing that we can compare it to. Right. There yeah. are other movies I've already mentioned. I'm also thinking the remake of A Star is Born. Yep. One thing that I did like is that they... they that year, Bridges made sense to win Best Actor. I think he was the best person. It wasn't just a career award. Mm-hmm. He was the best person on the list. He may have been the best person on the list some a other years. Yeah. And they're quite often, like the Fisher King and the Big Lebowski, years he wasn't nominated, where he might have been the best person as well. Because those, like I would say, those are two very clear examples of better performances. I would say fearless as so. well, right? So. And again, he's great in the movie, and people get wowed by the fact that he can play his own songs. There's something calculated about the movie. And again, it's still good. I've been so negative about it, Jason. Yeah, no, no, no but you, you, you're it, being it, critical, which is, I think, the right right way to, to, to look approach. at it. It's one of these movies that was made to win Oscars, like in a mm-hmm. calculated mm-hmm. way. It was yeah, based off of a popular book. We're going to have, uh, we're going to get a star who's going to perform these songs and, you know, show the arc from the bottom mm-hmm. to his redemption. Somebody who's overdue. <clears throat> We're going to get a nomination for Maggie. We're going to get a nomination for Jeff. And it was just one of these, this is your Oscar season pedigree release that's mm-hmm. going to tick all the boxes. And it does do all of those things. And it is a perfectly fine movie. But I I feel the mechanics of it, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. And that's just me seeing too many movies and just being aware of it. And I see the same mechanics when I watch my 10,000 slasher movie. Yeah. I just, I like the aesthetic of a slasher movie more than I like the aesthetic, the aesthetic of, this. Of, a, of this. I'm That's... thinking again of the target audience for this movie, probably if it had gone in a different direction at the end. Right. A, a, more of a leaving Las Vegas type of direction. They would have lost. Yeah, that would have, it, that, I mean, it would have still been a respected that key film. demographic, it, Oh, and it might have been like the top. So, like this wasn't mentioned on top ten list or anything. I don't think. Right. But everybody was on about Bridges' performance. Right. Uh, but it might have been a critical success. But who knows what what else would have happened right. with it? Yeah, I, I would agree. It's not his best performance, but I'm glad that he got finally got acknowledged. Yeah. As so many great actors never do get acknowledged. Too bad he didn't win for Lebowski or Fisher King or Starman or some of these other ones, but. But he, he, he got his due here. You know? And you watch the movie for it. Jeff Bridges. This is yeah. like, if you're a fan of Jeff Bridges, this is a safe and, bet. Right? And, and it's just Jill, Jill Hall, I knew Bridges would be good. Yeah. Jill Hall was a surprise to me in this. Very good actor. We've. Uh, I think you got to cast before. her in the right part. Mm-hmm. I don't know that she's like any part, any day, but no, the right place. It's not Kate Blanchett right. we talked about when. Right place, reviewed. right time. Maggie Jill Hall will, will work absolutely, do yeah. the job for you. It was for perfect sure. for this. Yeah. This type of character. I don't know what more to say. Yeah. I feel like I've given it short service. And again, it's another one, kind of like Thibis Baker Boys, where I'm sounding a lot more negative than I actually am about the movie. The movie is, as I'm so frequently, it's fine. It. It's, it's fine. It's fine.
you know, the bank loan, just enough to keep your mama poor, thought they could swipe her land. It's a big bank. It's too big. That's what she said. Now they can foreclose on Friday. So come hell or high water, get the money to the bank on Thursday. And then you are free and clear. Little brother, go get that money. Good morning, folks. Open the drawers. You got a gun on you, old man? You're damn right I got a gun on me. Y'all gonna steal my gun, too? We ain't steal from you, we steal from the bank. You hear about these bank robberies? You may get to have some fun before they send you off to the rocking chair yet. I may have one hunt left in me. <laughs> Mama, in that been a while. Three months. Bank breathing down her neck. Everybody, get on the ground! Y'all been here for a while? Long enough to watch the bank getting robbed. has been robbing me for 30 years. How do you manage to stay out of prison for a year? It's been difficult. Tell us stand up! These boys know exactly what they're doing. They're trying to raise a certain amount. That's my guess. Let's go! Drive! Drive! Okay, this might be a weird segue, but I, I, I would calculate that on your show we've had three big fights. Okay. One is about uh, the merit of David Lynch. Yep. One is about the merit of Tom Cruise and Julianne Moore in Magnolia. In Magnolia. Uh, but the first one... Which I never thought we would get that heated <laughs> is the movie Heat, which is right. one of the great movies about bank robberies and bank robbers I've ever seen. Which I liked, by the way. I wasn't talking. Yeah, yeah I know. About it was just you thought a character that I really liked could should be cut out just for. I said that Natalie Portman could have been cut out of that movie mm-hmm. entirely, and we would not have missed it or maybe oh. even noticed it, and it it set you off. It, it, well, which is so funny because. <laughs> You've listened to the first episode. Yeah. Where I, I was pretty hard on Natalie Portman, uh, Black Swan. Right. And uh, so it's interesting for somebody, because I just talked about, like, Bridges got his due, finally. You think I would have been, like, More all on board. board with Natalie Portman winning for, for Black Swan. Anyway, that's really off topic. But mm-hmm. the segue was Heat is this great movie about bank robbers. And here we have Hell or High Water, which uh, to me is uh, a very tight film, but is... A remarkably smart film dealing with a certain section of the United States at kind of a, a key moment a few years ago. To, it was uh, 2016 that it came out. It's about the bank robbers, two brothers played by uh, Ben Foster and uh, Chris Pine, the new Captain Captain Kirk himself yeah. there. And then we have Jeff Bridges and his partner trying to catch these bank robbers. And think, do we need another Southwestern bank robbery film? But this movie is so well written. It is so smart. It reminded me of, and this is high praise for me, Bonnie and Clyde. Is that kind of a, a political impact as well as just being in quite a strong thriller. But I'm very interested in what your take is on Hell well, or High Water. I, first of all, the, like the, I like this writer. The guy, the, he calls it sort of a spiritual trilogy between this. He wrote Sicario. and Taylor Sheridan, yes. And Wind River. Yes. And this. And the they, Wind River is underrated. Yeah. They're all three of them really good movies. Mm-hmm. And they're all three of them character pieces. Mm-hmm. I like them all. This is my least favorite. Um, and the reason is, is a lot of what I was talking about with Crazy Heart. You know, I talked about like how The Conjuring or Crazy Heart was really good at being a a biopic type of movie that hits all the notes of that. 
and The Conjuring was really good at being a haunted house type of movie. They hit all the notes mm-hmm. of that. It didn't do anything new at all, but this what did. it did, it did really well. Hell or High Water, well, let's see, what does it do? We, we have a good guy, a bad guy, and kind of a middle ground guy, right? There's a, there's a cop and there's a, a charming relationship he has with his buddy partner. And yeah. we have the brother relationship. One who's doing this because he has to and the other who's doing it because he loves doing it. Having not seen the movie, I knew every single fucking thing that was going to happen in this mm-hmm. movie before it happened. And I wasn't wrong about any of it. Not once. So you... I predicted we're, we're, that the lovable partner was going to get killed. Uh, um, I predicted that Ben spoilers. Foster was sorry. I predicted what was going to happen to Ben Foster, and I predicted that the more noble of the two thieves would get out relatively unscathed. Uh-huh. There was nothing surprising about the movie. It's amazingly acted. The characters are really well rendered. Uh-huh. I really connected to it a lot, and there were opportunities to make it a much more ugly, exploitive thriller, like that it felt like it was going to be, but it never all that went there. It was committed to being a character piece, and it excels at being it. But it, there, there was something paid by numbers about Hell or High Water. Compared to Sicario and Wind River, there was no surprises to the screenplay. Hmm. It was the only screenplay of his that needed to be elevated by the cast, as far as I'm concerned. But happily, everybody showed up. Particularly for me, Ben Foster. Who's just always been like everybody? Everybody knows that Jeff Bridges is, you know, on point for playing this dusty old sheriff. And uh, I don't think um, uh, Captain Kirk, uh, Chris Chris Pine, Pine, like uh, he's really good in the movie. I don't think he had to like stretch himself to get to this place. But the the Ben Foster character has dimension and edge to him, and makes him kind of more interesting and dangerous. And I and and I like that. You know, even though I'm not sure it was a stretch for him. Like he's he's played kind of these wild psychopathic wild card characters in other movies. I I I just reviewed uh, the Messenger mm-hmm. where he he gets to be the lead with with Woody Harrelson, and I kind of forgot <laughs> that he was the lead of that movie. Right. And I was like, oh, here we go again. But then I saw, oh, he's playing some notes in that movie. That screenplay gave him some things to do, which I I haven't seen in others. A lot of people were kind of upset. When Jeff Bridges got the Oscar nomination and Ben Foster did not for right. this movie. And they were both good. It's just uh, a subjective thing. I mean, they both could have been. Like, again, it's not maybe not fair to compare it to the other two movies, but I can't. Like, Sicario, I was eating my hand while I was watching yeah. that movie. It was a very tense movie for me. There was some real nerve-wracking sequences of action in it. And uh, I didn't find Wind River to be as predictable as this one. Uh, there was a, there's a danger in all of the movies, for sure. I, I think you're right. The other two are more suspenseful movies. Right. Um, if I was to choose an ending of the three, I would choose this movie. Right. Sicario had an opportunity to do something, which I think would have been a little bit closer to what's done with the ending here. But the lead-up to it... Is strong, and I'm not going to bash Sicario. I right. think it's 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 a very good film. Felt familiar to me too. I, I've seen movies like like that before, right. just as I've seen movies like Hell or High Water before. Wind River was kind of an interesting one, and that's why I I mean I'd like to get a copy of that and talk about that one a little bit too, just because of of the setting. And right. It was dealing with people that are not normally represented 
in American cinema. But even then, it felt the ending felt like it came out of something very familiar, conventional. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. But, again, but I still was very my, talented. I said it was my least favorite of the three, mm-hmm. and I really do like the movie. But yeah. it's just like it's your if you're watching a cop movie and they're spending a lot of time making you like the best buddy partner character. Don't get too attached to the partner yeah. <laughs> character, right? Uh, and if you've got two criminals, one of which has kind of a, a heart of gold buried in him where he feels like he's doing it for altruistic reasons, and another guy who just likes the sensation of smashing yeah. someone's face with a gun, you can sort of predict where mm-hmm. these things go. It reminds me of another totally fine movie, The Town. Yes, which I, I, I quite like The Town. Very good movie. I've been but watching it for a few years. but What about that movie was a surprise to you? Like the Jeremy Renner arc, like, yeah, the, the, like, the, like the, the basic the performances a- and the style was strong, and I, I'm not sure I completely believed in Ben Affleck as a director until I saw that movie. But, but like I said, it's a good movie, but it's the, sort of the same thing as Hell or High before, Water yeah. for me. This is uh, like there's no surprises here at all. Period. I guess for me, I really like. It's very rewatchable in a sense. I like if you all pay of the characters. To the science, like. The, the art direction, the set direction, mm-hmm. and it's glossed over. They don't scream at you, but every single sign and the graffiti on the sides of, of, of buildings talk about the desperation of, of these communities at that time in the United States. And it, in some way, explains, sort of explains the Trump phenomenon mm. a little bit. I, uh, not to get too political with this movie, yeah. but... Uh, Certainly the anger towards the establishment, towards banks, very similar to Bonnie and Clyde in that regard. The thing that was so clever to me, and, and maybe it's just I'm, I'm, I'm less tuned into uh, some criminal, the criminal world or something, was what these guys did. It was, to me, as perfect a bank robbery as you can get and how they washed their money. And I, I'm, I'm sure that's not an original idea, but being able to see that process from beginning to end is something that I, I don't remember seeing right. in another it's so often bank robbery over. movie. I also, you know, there's the joy of stealing money from the bank to pay back a debt from the bank. Mm-hmm. And the bank is crooked in what they're doing, trying to seize their property for uh, a minuscule debt. And the property's worth X number of times more mm-hmm. than that, right? They're being fucked over by the man and they're fighting back. Yeah. But in a very clever way and just using that casino. Yeah. Uh, and that, I mean, that casino was... I like that. Do you, do you like the scene where Ben Foster is playing poker yep. with that indigenous man and... Um, Getting a little carried away. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's could that be taken out of the movie? And Oh, I think it sort of speaks to the danger or the wild card nature of yeah. the Ben Foster character. Yeah. Whereas the Captain Kirk, <laughs> Pine, uh, you know, is trying... He knows what he's doing is wrong. He doesn't like the idea of hurting anybody. He wants to get this debt paid off and he wants to look after the wife and the kids. And he's just, he feels like he's been forced into this corner and he's doing it. Ben Foster enjoys it. Jeff Bridges says as much to yeah. him during the last con. Like, you guys could have stolen all the money in the world. He'd still want to be out there robbing yeah, banks be, because yeah. it's, it's not, never was going to be enough. Never going to be good enough. Yeah. And. He had a different picture of the Ben Foster character than we did because, like, he had a little bit more dimension. He he was he didn't take pleasure in shooting that cop necessarily. Uh, like he he wasn't relishing it, but he knew that that was very likely going to happen, and it he wasn't going to lose any sleep over icing a cop. Well, he was also 
it was a sacrifice. He knows what's going to happen. He was going to get caught or killed. Brother. He was going to get caught or killed. There yeah. was nowhere for him yeah. to go. He, right. he, he sacrificed himself for his brother. Yeah. And that brother dynamic is really interesting to me. That last scene with Bridges and, and, and Pine is just so well written. It's understated. The subtext is brilliant. It's well acted. And we're left with this ending where, okay, is there violence to come? Are things going to be worked out? I it reminded I, I like me that. of the three billboards outside of Ebbing sort yeah. of ending where it's yeah. not which I love. I mean, I, fully resolved. Yeah. It sort of leaves you something to think on, mm-hmm. and I did appreciate that as an ending. Yeah. I do not picture Jeff Bridges' character, you know, taking the Marky Mark approach to vengeance uh, to make a departed reference. Uh, I don't. In my version of the end of the story, they just go on about their lives, rege- sort of resenting each other's existence. You know, mm-hmm. he. Res- Resents him because he's responsible for his friend's death, and he resents him because he's responsible for his brother's death. But they were both playing in a world where those deaths were on the board. Like that was something that could have happened. And again, it's played really well. Like I said, I wasn't surprised at all when his partner died, but his reaction when his partner died so was just so good. Like he can't fucking believe it. It's like somehow he'd made it this far into his career without it this life or death mm-hmm, thing mm-hmm. really registering it's just before he's going to retire i mean i know we've seen that before but again cliche but, but upon the, cliche the, but it's the handled. acting choices and when and when it's done just watch the physicality of bridges and, and, and what he does it is it, it's such a good performance and you know i'm really gushing over bridges in all of these movies yeah as we said, he, he he's not bad in any of these. Uh, I think I'm a little bit more defensive of this one than I am of, of say, Crazy Heart right. or maybe even The Contender, just because it it was just this it was like this beautiful band aid. You know, it was it was short. Uh, you could see the pain of everything, but it, there's this re- relief at the end, like where I, I felt like I'm I'm watching a a really could be an underrated classic. It was a summer release that somehow carried through into an award season. Not surprisingly, didn't really win anything. Um, and Bridges at this point had been kind of given his reward, I think. I, like- I actually think it was that was the year of the whole Moonlight, uh, right. La La Land Debacle. stuff. You know, um, to me... Uh, like La La Land, a lot of people really like, and I heard you review it quite kindly on your show. La La Land is absolutely nowhere near as good as Hell or High Water. Right. Well, I mean, I would be grading them on a different scale. Uh, I I said La La Land was good. It was Eric who was foaming at the mouth of yes. being one of the greatest movies of all time. It was better than I expected, but I don't like musicals as a rule, mm-hmm. I guess. Again, I, I, I feel like I'm becoming off of a villain this episode. If you listen to Rankin Review, I do love movies. I like movies. I tend to... But it's to, a devil's advocate type of thing. You're, uh, you know... I I love Jeff Bridges' performance, too. I love, like, the, they play into... Well, you know, he's at the edge of retirement. He's an old man. But when he climbs up the side of the hill to break out the sniper rifle to try to resolve the issue with Ben Foster on the hill. He's pouring sweat. Mm-hmm. He's gasping for air. And he's trying to settle this rifle and scope and, 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 and get a clean shot on this guy. And it's physically difficult for him. The heat, the exhaustion, and the mental anguish that he's going through. Yeah. He could have got someone else to take the shot, though. He's like, choosing... Personal to take the shot because this is 100% personal at this yeah. point. And none of that said, 
And that's the stuff that I like about mm-hmm. Hell or High Water because a lesser screenplay, he'd be having a conversation with the dude that was working his support or like there would be something more implicit yeah. about it. This movie just shows us the desperation and how tired and how broken he is. I don't think he'll ever recover from no. his partner's no. death. Like, and it's interesting because like he spends a lot of the movie being really shitty to his partner and yeah, making these racist, racist but, jokes. You know, yeah. And he thinks they're funny and his partner mm-hmm. smiles, but he doesn't think that they're no, funny. No. Uh, and I, I appreciate there's another great scene with the brothers, with, with Chris Pine, and, uh, where this guy pulls a gun on Ben Foster in a parking lot. And all of a sudden, we realize that Chris Pine may be the nicer of the two, but he is very capable of oh, violence. Yeah. Yeah. He takes that guy down and puts him to the ground and gives him a three or four, maybe five or six extra boots once he's on the ground. And he's just like, oh, shit. Well, you're maybe. feeling that as an audience yeah. member. It's... This is not as black as white a character as we had first imagined. Like, he has some violence in him, too. He's just got much better harness on his yeah. violence than he his brother control does. control it. I just wanted to do a shout out of another name. Jill Burningham plays Alberto Parker. That's Jeff Bridges' uh, partner. Yeah. And he's a character actor. He's apparently in Wind River as well. Okay. Um, I forget why he's so familiar. I was like, he was in a. I feel like he was in a TV show. Or he's something. really good in it. I didn't know, remember his name. I apologize, but no, he. You're right. He is very solid, and it's not an obvious thing. What they're like, I, I felt it coming because that's what you do with the likable partner in these type of movies. <laughs> but uh, it's well handled, like everything else in the movie. Again, yeah, I think you're gonna say it's fine. No, I, I would say it's better it's than fine. Better it's than good. fine. Yeah. It's good. It's good. Uh, I, I just like again. I find it easier to. I could just sit here and say, Chris Pine was really good in the movie, Jeff Bridges was really good in the movie, <laughs> you know, everybody was really good in the movie and it was all good, mm-hmm. and it's completely worth your time, and, and all of those things are true. But I also would drop the caveat, there's nothing in this movie that you haven't seen before and somewhere I, else. I think, yeah, because I've been in another position where I've been defending the movie quite a bit, I would agree with you on that, and I think that's its biggest flaw, is that, you know, when I said it reminds me of Bonnie and Clyde, that means there was Bonnie and Clyde before. Yeah. And Body and Clyde was breaking new ground when it came out. Like there, there was not there was not this map roadmap ahead of it, right? There's a this is well trodden mm-hmm. territory, it is. and that is really the problem with the movie. Yeah, that, that's about it. And I mentioned, I would argue, a better bank robbery movie, Heat. Right. But Heat, as we talked about, is the high more than three hours yeah. long, a crime epic. This is about an hour and a half, and yeah. it's. And if you're talking about important. heist movies, I think he, you're talking about the upper echelon. Yeah. This isn't the bottom binding. This is probably upper middle echelon. Upper middle, oh, yeah. yeah. It's, very, it's very well done. British director too, David McKenzie. Right. Yeah. And they said it was just kind of interesting having a non-American. Yeah, it feels very home. South American. Or South American. It feels a very American South. Yes. <laughs> Not very South yeah. American. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> Mr. Cogburn, in your four years as U.S. Marshal, how many men have you shot? Shot or killed? Let us restrict it to killed so that we may have a manageable figure. Mr. Cogburn? What do you want, girl? I'm looking for the man who killed my father. The man's name is Tom Cheney, and I need somebody to go after him. What's your name? My name is Maddie Ross. Are you some kind of law? I'm a Texas Ranger. I know Cheney. It is at least a two-man job taking him alive. 
Marsha Cogburn? Can we depart this afternoon? We? I'm going with you. Congratulations, you've graduated from Marauder to Wet Nurse. We're being followed. What do we do, Marshal? You missed your shot, Cogburn. Just let this go. I thought you were going to say the sun was in your eyes. That is to say, your eye. Okay, I've been kind of uh, fangirling over some of these movies, I think. <laughs> I guess they all came from my movie collection, so I, I paid for them, yeah. and so maybe that's part of it. And I do like Mr. Bridges a whole lot. And probably the one that I'm going to be the most... Lebowski for you is like this. The, uh, the least reasonable about right. is... True Grit. So, uh, 2010, I believe this came out. Is it um, 10 years old already? Jesus. Yeah, I know. Time's <laughs> flying. I had heard of the John Wayne film, and I know John Wayne. Uh, I, it's funny you mentioned like Julia Roberts winning, and you stopped watching the Academy Awards. Somebody who uh, worked in my dad's office years ago when I was in university, I'd go over there and have coffee with the staff and that kind of thing. And I was talking about the Academy Awards one year, and so I, I've stopped watching since John Wayne won for True Grit right. over John Voight and Dustin Hoffman for Midnight, Midnight Cowboy. Cowboy. Right. Uh, she, that was her her breaking point. That's there. her win. Uh, that I mean, there there are people that love John Wayne, and there are others that realize he he was not much of an actor. I get it. It's like uh, Once Upon a Time, the Canadian Music Industry Awards gave a best vocal performance to Leonard Cohen mm -hmm. for the future. Yeah. He's an amazing song, was an amazing songwriter, but mm -hmm. not a particularly talented He's a diverse. talk singer. He talks mm -hmm. Usually people would fall in love with Cohen because they heard someone covering one of his songs and backed mm -hmm. into Leonard Cohen. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But when he accepted the award at the Junos or whatever it was, he said, only in Canada could I win this award. <laughs> Acknowledging that, like, this is like, this is an award they wanted to give him because he's Leonard Cohen mm -hmm. and because he's contributed significantly to the arts. I think that was the Oscar but, for John uh, Wayne, right? It's but, like, but people love that movie and are very defensive. So right. I was telling you on on before we recorded that the day the Oscar nominations came out and True Grit, much to my pleasure, got 10 Academy Award nominations, Best Picture, Best Actor, um, Direction for the Coen Brothers, Screenplay, uh, lots of tech awards, uh, a performance that I'm going to get to that I am totally in love with. Yeah. Um, and the first thing I hear about on CBC is some guy complaining that a remake gets all of this attention. First of all, there was a novel of True Grit before there was the John Wayne film. Yeah. The John Wayne film, as, as good or as bad or as in between as it is, was a John Wayne film where they took some elements of the book, but they Turned made John Wayne John the main Wayne character. Movie. Yeah. Yeah. And he's not the main character, but they did not realize that there was actually a source material before that. Thought they were just remaking a John Wayne film and putting Jeff Bridges in the John Wayne role. Right. And I saw this, and the Coen brothers are all over this. <laughs> in the dialogue, in the style, in the characterizations, and giving those moments we talked about in Big Lebowski to secondary characters. I absolutely love this movie. 
and maybe I would be sort of, you know, still still love it, but not be this like one-sided about it if it hadn't been from this performance of this girl who to me came out of nowhere, Haley Steinfeld, who still does some acting, I guess, but is now mostly known as a bit of a pop star, unfortunately. Right. I, I wish that after the award season with this movie, I could have become her manager and guided her <laughs> career because I was it was like seeing Jodie Foster in Taxi Driver or Linda Blair, even though that didn't turn out into much of a career in The Exorcist. I it could be just it, like it's the, a lead performance. It was the right role for the right person at the right time, and like that maybe only happens once or twice in your life if you're really lucky. And mm-hmm. just happened to happen to her when she was really 12 young or yeah. whatever. Yeah. No, she carries the movie, and uh, at the She's risk not acting with slouches here. No. Matt Damon's in here, Josh Brolin, and of course, Mr. Bridges. Who her character believes wholeheartedly that there's no situation she can't talk herself out of, mm-hmm. and through the course of the movie, we kind of come around to believing her. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's nature that brings down Maddie. It's not, you know, yeah. it's not man. It's yeah. not it's not the corruption of the world of man. It's mother nature that gets her. That both scares her and gets her. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the risk of quoting myself, because I talked about this movie with our mutual friend Sky on, on Rankin Review. Yes. If you didn't know that this was a Coen Brothers movie, I think you would get maybe five minutes, ten minutes less into the movie, and you'd just be like, oh, okay, this is the Coen Brothers. <laughs> like, uh, it, it really announces them itself. It's a much more faithful adaptation to the novel. Apparently, I haven't read the novel, so I'm not going to pretend that I know all the differences, but whereas the original John Wayne True Grit, it was repurposed to become a John Wayne Western shoot-em-up. This is the story of Maddie, who comes to claim vengeance for her slain father. Mm -hmm. She knows who the guilty party is. She just needs a guy to help her catch him, and she wants to watch him do the hangman's dance. You know, she... There is something icy cold about Maddie. Like, she wants this fucking guy. Yes. Dead. I mean, it's like something out of a Tarantino movie type of characters. But I like that she yeah. chooses the Jeff Bridges character because he's got this reputation yeah. of being a hard-ass. That's what the truth is. Rooster Cogborn. Yeah. Like, yeah. He'll, he will shoot first and ask questions later. He will he will use every dirty trick in the mm-hmm. book to get the job done. She says, well, yeah. that's the guy I want. This, is, this, this will do. This yeah. is... <laughs> Just the, the scenes are so good. The, the cinematography is brilliant. Oh. The art direction. Uh, I think, okay, I'll, I'll start in on a criticism because that's what I'm challenging myself to do with movies I, I love. I'm not totally sure if I've ever been on board with the Matt Damon performance. I know you're getting mad at me on that one. Uh, mm. It's very colorful. It's very fun. It's very interesting. Oh, I love it. Um, La beef. But... Yeah, yeah, La Beef is, uh, I, I think I laughed at it and enjoyed it a little bit more. I love how it is the like opposite this... of Jason Bourne. Yeah, like I guess the, so. Like all the Jason Bourne coolness that he'd been sort of bathing in in this period of his career is completely stripped away. And he's like largely comic relief. But what makes La Beef so funny is how self-important, he, you know, he is. Like he really believes himself to be like awesome. And he finally gets his opportunity to prove himself. He is a hell of a shot, as it turns out. And he does kind of save the day. There there, there is a redemption for him. When he's Uh, made to look ridiculous for most of the film. But it's Matt Damon, right? And you just... I I like how there was nothing... uh, Nothing 
star making about that role. There's nothing glamorous about it. There's no. nothing of like sexy about Lebeast. He's a buffoon and a lovable buffoon, but I, I've never seen Matt Damon play that. So I really liked it. I like yeah. Lebeast a lot. And there's some awkward scenes there. Like when he first actually talks to Maddie, he's sitting in her room. Watching and, her and, sleep. And saying, oh, I, I, yeah, watching her sleep. And then he makes a suggestion that he was going to go in and kiss her or something. There was like he considered really, stealing a kiss. Stealing a kiss. Yeah. yeah, but yet there's still something kind of innocent about it. I guess if I'm going to go with another out there criticism. Okay, so I'm sort of doing what you're doing there. Yeah, no, no, no. You know, because I've made it clear I love, love, love this movie. We have this big build up to Josh Brolin's in entrance as Tom Cheney, yeah. who is the man who has uh, committed this murder and is the target. Um, he's not really much of a villain. The Barry Pepper character, Canadian mm. Barry Pepper, seems like a more more of an adversary and more of, of Bridges' equal when we reach the climax of the film. Yeah. Well, and that's it's it. It's not Barry... anything wrong with what Roland does, and I kind of like the character voice, and it's sometimes he plays quite intelligent characters this is a, a less intelligent character um well that's that barry pepper is cogburn's villain and cogburn's adversary yeah and and the josh brolin character is very much ned pepper ned or sorry yeah. ned pepper's barry yeah. no barry pepper played barry ned pepper's pepper. playing ned pepper that's why but yeah josh brolin is very much maddie's business to deal with and yeah. uh, that's kind of the promise made by the movie i yeah. like whether or not you know it or not, we're leading to a confrontation between Josh Brolin and Maddie. The movie's setting it up like it's going to be Jeff Bridges, but at no point did I ever believe that or expect that or want that, frankly. No. no. Uh, so that's why. I think the difference between those two characters is kind of telling, like, Josh Brolin is a pure kind of in-his-brain sociopath, you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. And there's something very strange and deliberate about his pattern of speech. I do not like this plan, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. uh, whereas Barry Pepper is much more alive. He recognizes that there's a world outside of himself mm -hmm. and that Cogburn is not going to be a problem that's going to go away by itself. So yeah. he's going to have to use some tactics to shake off this old fucker. And uh, I really love Barry Pepper in this movie, too. Yeah, I, it's, I think it's kind of Josh Brolin's role is underwritten, I guess, to the point that we, we hear more about him than from him. Mm -hmm. When he's there, he doesn't have a lot to say, but there's just something about the droop of his face and the deliberateness of his pitch of voice that he like there's something essentially broken about this guy like mm -hmm. he is a bad dude and the the when he first sees Maddie like they encounter or not when they first see her but when they finally see each other in the movie they're across a creek from each other in the middle of goddamn nowhere there's no earthly reason for Maddie to be there yeah. but he kind of smiles when he sees her he's hey. like hey what are you doing here? Like well, the the reality of the situation doesn't sink in on him right away no. at all. Like, and that's like some great writing, right? Terrific writing there. When we think about the build up, though, maybe this is comparable. Maybe it isn't. If we take a movie like The Third Man, where we spent all this time hearing about Orson Welles, and Orson Welles makes right. the appearance. Apocalypse Now, we spend all this time hearing about Kurtz, Kurtz and then we see Brando and. Right. Again, the, the impact in those films feels a little bit more rewarding. The other thing is, I'm, I'm holding the cover to the Blu-ray here. If, if you take a look at, what are, what are the three names that are listed? Yeah, Jeff Bridges, Matt Damon, Josh Berlin. Where's, where's Haley Stangfield? I don't yeah. see it. To promote this film, 
basically the lead. I know they put her in the supporting actress category. Which is ridiculous. Um, she's the star of the movie. She's the star of the movie. And no matter which category she was in, she should have won. Yeah. And no disrespect to anybody else, because it was it was a pretty good year, but it's as close to perfect a performance as I can can think of. So I'm I'm probably just not rational about <laughs> that performance. I'm can probably I not rational about this movie, but I I was so happy it was your number one choice for, for that Westerns. that Western because you were up. There were some heavy hitters. Oh in man, that, that's that a tough list. Yeah. I can pull up one thread too, and if you've heard that podcast, so you know what it is. Mm. For me, Jeff Bridges has a couple extra marbles in his mouth than is fully necessary. Like, I get that he is playing, like, a unglamorous drunk in uh -huh. this movie. Like, yeah. there's nothing amusing about him once no. he gets past a certain level of no. drunkenness. But, like, I, I, I wonder if, like, he was in the script. It was supposed to become indistinguishable. Or, like, I almost want to put subtitles on. There's a scene where he and Matt Damon get in this argument... And they're throwing, what was it, like bits of bread up in the air and yes. trying to shoot yeah. it. And he's just yeah. like, he doesn't know his ass from a tea kettle. He's fucking useless. But I honestly have trouble understanding what he's saying. And Coen brothers write really rich dialogue. Mm -hmm. And it's important to get that out. If I was forced at gunpoint to make I a know. complaint about this movie, that's what it would be. There's a couple of scenes where I don't understand you Jeff I just don't understand you I think that was the only thing where when I was listening to that episode I was like, is, is he going to use that to not name it as the number no, one no no not here? at all <laughs> I was glad that you didn't I didn't have that problem yeah. I, and I was because I had listened to the podcast before this I was listening for not being able to understand him Right. And I, I just really wasn't bothered, and I've mm. never been bothered every time I've seen this movie with, with that choice and that approach. If we were doing the stage version of True Grit, I think I might have some problems with that right. a little bit more. But it made sense with the character. There's all these kind of... Um, he, he just seems so country and so southern, and that's the case with a lot of these movies. Yet This is the same guy who's playing the President of the United States in... The contender, those who don't, who don't think that Jeff Bridges has a range as an actor, needs to take a look at the variety of performances. I think in Hell or High Water, there are moments too where he is very marbles and mouth type of thing as well. But no, I, I, he was no more clear in that, mm. I don't think, than in this. Well, it was just something like, again, but, I yeah, believe like, when I said that in the podcast, it was like, I have one... Yeah, that's the only that's thing. The only thing you about enjoy this movie. this movie. Yeah, uh, yeah. I love how the period is handled very specifically. I love the like specificity of the dialogue, the do nots and cannots, and uh, if you mm. want to sleep in the coffin, that would be all right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, I love that scene. <laughs> Uh, Again, but it's like those to me that it's like some of those scenes that you're quoting from Lebowski. It's just pitch perfect. It's <laughs> like, but what? the violence in the movie is also kind of stunning. Like, uh, oh, it, it's out there. The, when he's having this interrogation with this guy at the table, you get the feeling like Cogburn knows there's about a ninety percent chance that this conversation is going to end with him shooting him, and that's how it plays out. And like this guy who's been bumbling and a kind of goofy and lovable shoots this dude in the fucking face mm -hmm. <laughs> like mm -hmm. kaboom it's yeah. like all business and it's it's genuinely shocking when H Haley falls down that pit and we see oh. this 
rattlesnake coiled in the chest cavity of a skeleton. Even though it's a CGI snake and I'm not fooled by it necessarily, the image is so strong and horrifying mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that like it's positively chilling. And she and can't talk her way out of this. Like Yeah, not this one. Yeah, that one's... Like I said when we reviewed it, when he mentions snakes to her earlier in the movie, that's the one thing where you can see the chink in her armor a little Mm. bit. She looks to her left and right like snakes hadn't really factored in completely. Or subtle Indiana Jones. Right? Like, she does not like the idea. And it is a snake that Mm -hmm. fucks her up, which is kind of interesting. But I also, this last time, because I rewatched it again for your podcast. Thank you for doing that. Even, I I just, uh, you know, it's the Coen Brothers, I had to choke it down. There's something about a girl and her relationship with her horse, right? Mm. And, like, there's the great scene where Cogburn tries to ditch her and she chases him down and actually gets her horse to cross yeah. this this fairly looking sketchy river crossing. It didn't look super safe for her, but she made it across. And that was her pony that she'd brought from home. And there's a scene towards the end of the movie, is kind of a spoiler, she's being rushed to get oh, some medical that's attention. So, oh, that's so tough to watch. And he has to oh. kill the horse. And at the, oh. I don't know why all the other times I hadn't clocked that that was Maddie's horse, but mm-hmm. he switched over to her horse because it was a fresher. Yes. He'd uh, just involved his other horse in a gunfight with yeah. the Pepper Gang. Uh, uh, yeah, I think his horse was killed there. That's why they used mm-hmm. Maddie's horse. Yeah. Uh, and he rides it to death. And even though Maggie, or uh, sorry, even though Maddie is delirious and on the edge of death, she doesn't want him to shoot this horse. And he shoots the horse despite her. <laughs> to save. Because he's save trying to her save life. her life. And he's not going to leave this horse like, to, to, to like die. In lesser hands, that entire sequence could be just schmaltzy. It is so desperate, and that's the strength of Bridges' performance, like his facial expressions yeah. and his determination. And He and, doesn't want to kill the horse, but the horse is already dead. And, and then he carries her, the rest and of he's the not a young man, no. carrying this girl to, to help. And so, like, the, for some reason, and again, I, this was like my sixth, seventh pass of the movie, yeah. that moment really fucking landed yeah. this last time. It's like, of course she's upset about that. She fucking loves that horse. Mm-hmm. And, like, like when you get the full context of it, by the time she wakes up, he's gone. He ne- She never sees Cogburn again. Yeah. And she, this adventure cost her her arm. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it the was, rest of her life, she's trying to find him. Yeah. So, like, it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful movie, uh, despite these, like, epically dark moments. It's funny, because by that point in the movie, you feel like no part of you believes that she's going to die. She's just gone through too much to, like, Mm -hmm. you realize that she's going to be Mm -hmm. saved. But it's almost like this quest, in the end, wasn't maybe worth it. It cost too much. Maybe. That's the impression that I got this time through. Yeah. But... Yeah, what a wonderful movie. You're left movie. with kind of a, yeah, in that kind of place. One of the other kind of just weird things to mention here, it's a fun fact, Steven Spielberg is a producer of the film. Nice. Yeah. Uh, what's his face, who was in the new Star Wars movies and in, um, oh my God, the Ex Machina. Yeah, Os- Oscar Isaac. No, no, Gleason. Oh, oh yeah. The uh, Brendan Gleason son. Oh. What the hell is his name? <laughs> this is a total podcast fail. He plays one of the two cowboys that ends up getting... He gets stabbed, and uh, Jeff Bridges promises him that he'll bury him, but uh, it turns out that the ground was too cold, so he refuses to bury him. Anyway, that actor has come up a long way. When that movie first came out... Oh, 
Domhnall's Domhnall Gleeson. That's why I can remember his first name. Again, he's got, he he shows up like I rewatched Dread recently. I was like, oh yeah, you were in Dread. I forgot mm-hmm. you were in Dread. Here he shows up again in like a very brief but yeah. memorable role in a cover. Such, such a good scene. Yeah, and talk about a violent scene as oh. well. Um, like I don't know what I can say more about Trudez. Uh, I I would just go on to gush and gush uh, about and it. I, yeah, I think we'll keep gushing about it. <laughs> it's Barry Pepper. Like I say, great Canadian actor. He recently got some work with Crawl, gave him some more more high profile stuff. Yeah, I love. He's I, always been an underused actor, and I really think like he delivers the goods here. And I'm like, I, I'm just happy for him in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like I, I just have this imaginary scenario in my head when Barry Pepper got the call from the Coen Brothers and just like, ooh, sweet. I, I could get behind Barry Pepper's name being before Josh Brolin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and Josh Brolin, like one of those things, and... Barry Pepper is the forgotten villain of this. It's sort of like when we talked about uh, The Silence of the Lambs, everybody goes on about Anthony Hopkins, nobody talks about uh, Ted Levine. Mm -hmm. In this movie, everyone goes on about Josh Brolin, and and nobody talks about Barry Pepper. But Barry Pepper is arguably a more layered character. Very much so. Yeah. Very much so. Thank you so much for talking about Jeff Bridges and it was bringing hell. your expertise. It was hell on earth. Two yeah. Coen Brothers movies. You know yeah, how I, I know. hate the Coens. Yeah, and Jeff Bridges. We yawn. I, I feel like the time we spent on the two Coen movies is like equal to the rest of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, all of the, the other four movies. But well, full disclosure. To your listeners, the Coen brothers are like my favorite living yeah. filmmakers. That was going to happen. Yeah. I warned you about this when yeah. you said you wanted to do this tonight. I was like, there's two Coen brothers movies, so if you want me to shut up, just say, shut up, Larry. We got to No. Well, and like, I'd, I'd almost do a Coen brothers episode with you. And I know you've, you're have you working or you've had your second Coen brothers tribute episode. Yeah. Uh, this is going to be dropping at some point. April. Yeah. Sometime in April, right? Uh but the problem is, I'd have to then lose one of my Coen Brothers movies. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. At the end of this, you're getting rid I of lose a, a movie and... So how strict are you on decide. that? Like, you, you've been getting rid of a movie per... Uh, Every episode, you know, I lose a movie, and then the guest, uh, in a few moments, you'll you'll get to decide what to do with this, <laughs> the movie okay. that has the least number of points. All right. So we'll start off with Fabulous Baker Boys. How many points did you give Fabulous Baker Boys? This is going to seem ungenerous. Mm-hmm. I apologize in advance. I gave the Fabulous Baker Boys five points. Five points. Um, like, uh, I, it's top-heavy with the Coen brothers. Like, I, I started at the top. Mm-hmm. So when I got to the bottom, it was like kind of what, I have, what did I have left to distribute. <laughs> I think that it's worth more than five points out of ten, yeah. like out of a grade scale. Yeah. But since I only had 60 points to deliver. Yeah, it, it makes it the math complicated yeah. and... Tough decisions here. Yeah. I was agonizing over this a few moments ago. Right. Contender. How many points for Contender? Well, I hate to be repetitive, <laughs> but I also gave the Contender five, five points. points. I was trying to keep the math nice and simple and round here. I wasn't <laughs> going to get into odd numbers. Or <laughs> That's probably smart because I you'll find out in a few moments. I got I, myself. Yeah, I'm not going. I'm going to give seventeen point five <laughs> out of <laughs> no, 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 the decimal yeah, points. Yeah, let's not the fractions here. Wow. <laughs> 
Okay, the Big Lebowski, I'm sure one or two points is going there. The Big Lebowski, I very generously gave one-third of the point total to at 20 points for the Big points. Lebowski. Jeez, as I it is might like that movie. One of my favorite Coen Brothers movies, and as the Coen Brothers are some of my favorite filmmakers, it would probably rank mm. high on my list of favorite movies, period. So I felt like my number yeah. needed to reflect that. So it... It took a big bite out of your point system. I, crazy Heart. Again, I hate to be boring. I five. gave it five points. <laughs> gotcha. Hell or uh, High Water. Hell or High Water, I got more generous, and I awarded it ten points. Ten points, okay. Uh, I do think it is very good for what it is, and the acting in it is wonderful, and I do like the screenplay. Like Again, when we reviewed it, I felt like I was super negative about mm. it. The biggest problem is that, like, you have seen this movie before. Mm. You just have. Maybe not as well acted, maybe not as crisply, you know, written, but there's no surprises to it. Uh, but uh, I... I it's up to me, it's about the procedure. More, and it much earned, like you mentioned the town, yeah, or... It earned double digits. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's... Yeah, <laughs> Twice the movie that Crazy Heart and Fabulous Baker Boys, based that, on this system. That's how I feel in, in this grade school. Yeah. And yeah. then uh, True Grit. Well, by math, you'll have <laughs> to realize that it got 15 points. Uh, God bless you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry that it, I guess, technically didn't make the top spot for you, because I know you'd probably put it at the top. I love True Grit, and again, I gave it like a very serious yes. point share here. Yeah. The Coen Brothers clearly topped the list. This is playing to my... Personal. Well, when we knew that coming in, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not the least bit surprised. And it seems yeah. simplistic to give five each to the bottom three, but I guess then I didn't have to really stack them in my rank and review way and say this one was better than that one. Because I really, I'm not hard on any of these movies necessarily. They're all decent movies, yeah. but I think that the Coen brothers play on a different level. Oh, it's, yeah, and, and it's maybe un, unfair. It's like the two Coen brothers movies and four, four others. others. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll go, th I'll go through my math, and then we're going to have something happen, which will be the first time in the history of this show. So it's high? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, so uh, I gave eight points to the Fabulous Baker Boys. I think I like it more than you do, but I do recognize the problems a little bit more, and maybe it's a little bit of a sentimental attachment, because it was in the early days of me kind of falling in Connecting love with the movies. Yeah. films. Uh, the acting makes it better than maybe the movie actually is. Which is what we've said about a lot of these yeah. movies. Yeah. I love The Contender. I gave it 10 points. Um, it still works for me. Maybe me reading a little bit more into a, you know, a full disclosure, I was a Hillary supporter. Um, right. That I felt like there was some unfair character assassination since she was the first lady. And I, I actually think she was quite a qualified person and would have been a strong president. Right. And it still seems like women aren't really given a chance. I don't think any of the women that are currently running for the Democratic... Have a reasonable uh, chance. No, no. But I do know that the men who are the front runners appear to respect women a lot more than some of the characters in The Contender. And certainly... I, I have, like, no not a special love for Hillary Clinton, but no one with special hate for her. But mm. I will give her points. There was a time where it really looked like she was going to run again. And I'm so glad that she yeah, didn't she do that. made the right decision. That would have been an ego-based decision. Well, and it would, and have it would have ruined any any sort of positive legacy that she has, unfortunately. Yeah. 
Uh, I gave 11 points to The Big Lebowski. I was spreading the points out a little bit more. Um, that doesn't mean I, I love it any less. Uh, but I, I bring baggage. I, I understand why you gave it 20. I, mean, I bring it, it baggage. Is so, it is so good. <laughs> I was a little bit nicer to Crazy Heart. I gave that 8 points. I, I think it's a, a worthy performance from Bridges. I, I don't want... Some people have dismissed it as being a, a career Oscar right. uh, award. He, it plays to a lot of his strengths. But it is a different character than he's played in any of these other movies. Right. And you can't you, you can't get any different than these six characters. I mean, I, there's a little bit of a musical thing, a bowling thing, a Southwestern with some of them. But some other characters, not so much. They're all well a very defined. L.A. vibe. A very Washington, D.C. vibe. A very country vibe. So I like him in the movie, and I, Maggie Gyllenhaal as well. Her performance is is, is is quite good, and then the music is just fabulous yeah. in it too. You know, and maybe I like country music a little bit more than you, but five I, seems I, ungenerous. I just say it's good, not great. But yeah. like, uh, I I wouldn't take the award away from Bridges mm-hmm. at all. So I also gave more points to Hell or High Water, but not much more. Eleven, and you gave ten, so twenty one points for Hell or High Water. Because I was spreading the points out a little bit, because I really love these movies, it was only 12 points for, for True Grit. But it I did give it the most points of, right. of the movies here. And just the difference between it and Big Lebowski is so minuscule <laughs> right. for me. I think it's just a couple things I still want to watch Lebowski and, and look for some of the things that you've spotted because you've watched it so many more times <laughs> than I have. And I've watched it quite a bit. And right. I've, I've shown it to people... And I like I've had people fall asleep watching it. Yeah. And no, if you don't not, connect, they're like, well, I don't know what was so great about this thing. <laughs> I feel like you know the Canadian cult classic Strange Brew. Oh yes. I've never gone Strange Brew. Really. I uh, just really haven't been able to get behind it. And I think maybe some other people's reactions to Big Lebowski might be similar to mine to Strange Brew. Okay. So. Well, Strange Brew is uniquely Canadian, and it helps if you saw it when you were a kid, but. I love that they based the structure of it off of Hamlet. Yes. yes. <laughs> For such a stupid movie, that was yeah. a smart move. <laughs> yeah. Even though I'd rather watch a version of Hamlet, but that's just me. Okay, so where are we with the points here? Not surprisingly, The Big Lebowski is the big winner here with I kind of cooked points. the books. I gave yeah. him 20 points. But that's fine. <laughs> True Grit is the runner-up. Not a big surprise there. 27 points as well. Then we start getting into the middle here. Hell or High Water had 21. So it... It, uh, it did well. The contender ended up with 15. And as I kind of alluded to, we Crazy have a tie heart. at the bottom with the Fabulous Baker Boys and Crazy Heart. So what that means is we now have two movies that have to leave my movie collection. They and you get to decide. To they both have to go. And you get to decide what I do with those movies. Jeez, you put me on the spot here. I mean, I'd happily uh, take them into my fold. I'm sure one day I would get around to watching mm-hmm. them again or something like you that. You don't own either of these, I don't. Right? The, no. And, like, the fact that we found two movies. That's that's not fair. I was actually looking at your wallet. You have a lot of movies that I don't have, but uh, I tend to focus on horror, science fiction, mm-hmm. and fantasy a yeah. little bit more. Um, there'll be, like, for every drama or straight comedy I get I probably would buy half a dozen yeah. horror movies or something of it so uh, you have more your collection is more legit than mine as far as uh, <laughs> not sure pedig- pedigreed Oscar winning films there's so many movies that I wish I could find right you know and you're digging into like looking at like the now they're out of print or they're the $50 plus yeah 
in not even Blu-ray DVD. And well, that's the the what we lost with the video stores because yeah. some movies, even if they didn't get released and sell through, would be released as rental. But if you didn't buy a previously viewed copy of it, you weren't gonna mm. buy it. Yeah. <laughs> and even some of the ones that did get really sell through, they haven't been released since 1995 yeah. or whenever they came out. Yeah. And that's where Kino Lober, I think, is is starting to release it. When 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 I look at like a Sunshine uh, Records or whatever, I'm like, oh, that movie. I forgot yeah. about that movie. Thank and you. That's like, yeah. <laughs> somebody gets it. Yeah. Right now. And um, I have to. They're believe. charging way too much money for them, but mm. I understand. I have to believe that there are more people out there like you and I. We may not be the average citizen, we may not be the norm, but I have to believe there's enough yeah. of us to maintain there's, this physical there's media. There's got to be a market for it, and yeah. Because um, I, I, I've always been a collector since I was a kid, you know, buttons, Smurfs, action figures, <laughs> uh, books, you know, I have a hardcover Stephen King collection that I've been it's nurturing It's impressive for, one too, yeah. uh, And like... Uh, uh, that's been part of my makeup since I was a kid. I like having a big collection of things and sorting them and staring at them like you do. Yeah. And uh, I resent that that's being denied us. Not because mm. there isn't an audience for it, but just because uh, just mute greed. <laughs> like, yeah, it's about money. That's what it comes down to. Anyway, um, um, we'll figure out what to do with those movies. I guess for now, I'll take them off your hands. And yeah, uh, I, I think there it's. A, in a good place, a good home for both of those. If I don't keep them, I promise to tell you where they end up. Okay. Like if I regift them or if, you know, down the road yeah. I'm getting rid of them. But for now, since I don't have any good answer, because I don't... If they were terrible movies, I would say let's burn them in effigy. But yes. I don't think they're terrible movies. No. So, no. Uh, like, neither of them... Am I foaming at the mouth to watch again? But uh, neither of them would I be embarrassed to have on my wall. So Yeah, there might be someday like a rank and review theme... Yeah. Or one of these movies would make sense would make to sense. go in with a, a mixture of six or something like no. that too. Music movies or something. Yeah, 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 something along those lines. I mean, you've done shows on musicals. Yep. I think you're working on, are you doing one with kids movies or something? Uh, like talking that? animal pictures. Talking animal pictures. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's not always, and you kindly did a Woody Allen show with me. Yeah. I mean, it's not always genre-based or horror-based, but I mean, that's your bread Most of the time. Most of the time. And I'm, I'm hoping to come on. For more horror. Yeah, I need I need some horror. We've got our, a real our next, run. Our next one is... Stephen King. Um, yeah, I've been working away at it. It'll be a Stephen King show. That was the very first time I was on your show with Stephen yeah. King. So I, I kind of wanted to go back and, and revisit that. Uh, well, we've gone on a good stretch of interesting themed episodes, yeah. but not enough horror for me. Yeah. we got like the classic universal horror monsters, which mm -hmm. I guess has to count as horror, but it's not very modern. But then I have like the first six Marvel Universe movies. Yeah. I have this crime thriller episode coming up. And then I have this Coen Brothers episode coming up. And that, those are all interesting. But none of them are horror. So, yeah. yeah, please, please, let's get this Stephen King thing going. Oh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm almost... I have to watch two more things and then I'm ready to go. Well, so. I need to rewatch them. You need to... Yeah, of so. course. Yeah, you'll need a bit of time. Plus, you Thanks for having so, me. Uh, thank you rank so and review kits. And uh, I'm sure I'll be back. Oh, yes, I'll be back. Please, please, please come back. <laughs> Thanks.